Rob, I've said for a while now that the Disney Plus show, particularly when it comes to Marvel, that I have Mm -hmm. been most anticipating is Falcon and Winter Soldier. But Loki is right up there. I mean, you know, I love Tom Hiddleston playing Loki. I've been looking forward to this. They announced a Loki series. We got some taste and some teasers of it before. But today they dropped a full-blown trailer for Loki. And I got to tell you, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It did what a trailer, because this, unlike the other teasers, this one gave us a better idea. I love it when a trailer gives us a sense of here's the basic idea. You know, they don't give you details. They don't give you tons of insight. Just like, here's the basic gist. So basically what the setup is, they introduced in the trailer, was that when Loki took that Tesseract, it actually broke apart the timeline. And now we've got the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, is stepping in and saying, we need you now. You broke it. You got to help us fix this. Right. And so I love that that's the basic story. And Rob, I'll tell you what else I love about this. I love that in the MCU, actions have repercussions. I love that. Even like a little thing like, hey, it wasn't just a little gag. Oh, Loki, I get the stone back. Ha ha ha. There's repercussions to that. And then Marvel follows through and says, let's look at these repercussions. And I thought that was great. You have Loki given all the slick one-liners that Loki is apt to give. I thought that was great. But I'm going to tell you something else, Rob, that makes it very special for me. I am actually a big fan of Owen Wilson. I, <laughs> Owen Wilson has delighted and entertained me um, during some great times and during some hard times for a long time in his career. Like whether it's High Noon, that's where I really first took notice of him in that Jackie Chan movie. I loved him in that. Wedding Crashers is one of my all-time favorite comedy. I mean, whatever you want to go. I love Owen Wilson. And of course... We don't talk about it. Nobody talks about it anymore. But a number of years ago, there was a really serious incident with Owen Wilson that, you know, led to him being hospitalized and a lot of questions about his mental state. And it kind of cast a bit of a shadow or a rain cloud over this delightful entertainer. And to see Owen Wilson back, and he has done other things since. Don't get me wrong. It's not like he disappeared. He has done other things since. But I don't know. It just makes my heart smile to sit down and see Owen Wilson on screen again, being delighted and entertained by what he does. So for many, many reasons, Rob, this Loki trailer really was a breath of fresh air. I loved what I saw. Anyway, Rob, you had a chance to check out this Loki trailer. What did you think about it? Dude, like you, I loved it. I mean, first of all, the time variance authority is a wacky concept. I mean, we've, it's sort of the, like Terry Gilliam's Brazil yeah. But it, oh, it oversees the entire omniverse and it has like more it has a wider reach than even Kang the Conqueror in terms of different realms. And, you know, I used to say, how are they going to make Iron Man, Thor and Captain America able to exist in the same universe? I was always wondering, like, how could the MCU pull that off? And of course, they pulled it off with grand fashion. We can't think of a time when those characters weren't in a movie together. But the Time Variance Authority is out there, man. I mean, it is a – you're talking like Adjustment Bureau. You're talking Brazil. I mean, it's a <laughs> it's a crazy concept. It's a crazy sci-fi concept, a crazy fantasy concept, and it really broadens sort of the scope of the MCU. Yeah. And, and to add this in to the frothy mix that already is the MCU is taking it in directions that are – really exciting to me as a science fiction fan and 
watching. I mean, they're going for it. And one of the things that I've noticed with WandaVision, um, with Falcon and Winter Soldier, and now with Loki, is they're really expanding slowly, but they're expanding the mythology of the whole MCU in really broad and interesting ways. And it's kind of happening right before our eyes. And it, because normally we just kind of saw the world through the Avengers. Yeah. You know, we, and they're villains. We didn't, we don't see the rest of the universe, but now we're getting a glimpse into, you know, places like Madripoor. And now we're going to get the Time Variance Authority. And that there's, there's this big universe of stuff that is happening outside of our Avengers characters that our Avengers characters will only sort of cross over with. And this, this is like completely bonkers sci fi out there. And it's right, it's from the comics, it's part of the Marvel comic universe. I can't wait for this. I watch this and I'm like, man, this looks delish. I can't wait to see it. And it's still, you know, again, it showed us a a, basic idea, but there's a lot of mystery still left in there. Yeah. Who's that antagonist that seems to pop up in the trailer a couple times? What's what's the opposing? So there's still a lot of questions, but it gave us a basic idea. Question is for you guys. Did you have a chance to see this trailer for the new Locusts? By the way, we don't even have to wait long. This is coming out in like two months. Two months. June 11th, this thing comes out. What did you guys think about it? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic, story, or issue that you think we should make as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show. With that down, let's move into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Aaron G, who writes, Hey, John and Rob, I saw on James Gunn's Twitter over the weekend that the Red Band trailer for the Suicide Squad broke the all-time record for views in its first week. Do you think this indicates that Suicide Squad could be a much bigger hit than even Warner Brothers is expecting it to be? Are you or uh, to be uh, are, or or do you think it doesn't mean much? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Aaron. And yeah, look, when the whole drama was going on between Disney and James Gunn. This is, of course, going back a couple of years when like 10 year old tweets of his resurfaced and Disney decided to part ways with him. He became a free agent. Every studio in the business started lining up and throwing offers at James Gunn's feet. James Gunn decided to go with Warner Brothers. They gave him his pick of the litter. What do you want to do? They even offered him Superman, Rob. They even offered him Superman if he wanted it. But he said, I want Suicide Squad. And so they gave him Suicide Squad. And I've been really excited and anxious to see it ever since. Then came DC Fandom. And that teaser they gave at Fandom, it, oh, yeah. I, I couldn't have been more excited for. I thought it was great. And of course, just recently, they put out a new Red Band trailer uh, for it. And apparently, it broke all kinds of records. Uh, this comes to us from James Gunn himself. He wrote this on his Twitter and he says, I just got word that the Suicide Squad Red Band trailer set a new record for most views of a Red Band trailer. Now remember, 
red band trailer, not any average trailer, but it set a brand new record for most views of a red band trailer in a week with over 150 million views worldwide. I'm incredibly grateful to all of you for making this happen. Thank you. And that, of course, came to us from James Gunn on his Twitter account. Now, one of the interesting things about this is knowing which which record did he break? I mean, whose record did he break? Well, the record had been held by another Warner Brothers property, Mortal Kombat. The Mortal Kombat trailer came out too long ago, so that didn't get to hold the record for all that long. Now, listen, 150 million views in the first week is not, let's say, Titanic when you compare it to non-Red Band trailers, but it is still a huge number, especially, Rob, when you consider Suicide Squad is kind of the... I mean, it's like what Guardians of the Galaxy was before they made the movies out of them. You know, mm-hmm. kind of a less amongst the general population, a much lesser known property with some with some much lesser known characters, couple of known ones, but much lesser known characters. For this to be able to come out and set those types of numbers, I think it suggests two things. Number one, I think there is more excitement for this property than I think a lot of people assume there would be, including me, to be honest. Yeah. Number two. I think it kind of speaks a little bit to people seeing that trailer and then telling other people they needed to see it. I love the King Shark stuff in it. I really, really did. Now, does this mean that, you know, Suicide Squad is going to make $700 million at the box office? No, I, I don't. I still don't think that. I don't think I don't think it'll hit Deadpool numbers, but I do think this movie is going to be a hit. And I think it's going to be a big success. Now, of course, mm. Rob, a lot of this will depend on how good is the movie. The trailer's great, but we've all seen many, many, many fantastic trailers to some really bad movies. So, but I mean, hey, if the movie can get on par with the trailer, this thing could be really successful. And I think the numbers show that there is a lot of interest in this particular movie. How much that'll translate directly to success, we'll have to wait and see. Rob, you saw this tweet from James Gunn. First of all, what do you think about it, like getting 150 million views for a Red Band trailer's first week? And what do you think, if anything, that tells us about how much people are looking forward to the movie? Well, the, the, you watch this trailer and you can't not smile. I mean, it's it's it, it, the, look, no one could have put Polka Dot Man and King Shark and all these Peacemaker and all these characters together, I think, except no one would have had the balls to do it except James Gunn. And to see the kind of irreverent tone and the the disregard for loss of life and even dick jokes. I mean, there's it, it, it's a it's a frothy mix, John, that I think that we all have to be excited about. And look, I found myself watching the trailer more than once because it was just funny. You know, I like I, I thought it was hilarious. And I, I I I think that this is the kind of film that people want to see. I mean, especially coming off the year we've had seeing this kind of irreverent humor. And we already know James Gunn's delivering the goods on this kind of a level. And I think that the cast that he's put together, uh, I look. Maybe I've set myself up for disappointment, but I have very high hopes for this movie. Uh, I'm much more interested in seeing it than I ever was. Hmm. I think the trailer did a terrific job, and it doesn't surprise me. I'm sure, like me, like you probably, we watched the trailer more than once, and um, I showed it to Elizabeth. I'm like, this is pretty funny. Like, I want to see this movie. And Starro is in it. 
one of my favorite Justice League. We got a freaking kaiju in here. I I didn't know anything about Starro being, but of course Starro. Starro is one of the wackiest villains the JLA have ever faced. I mean, come on. The fact that he put, I mean, what's not in this movie? Well, by the way, I'm seeing a little bit of confusion in, in the live chat. Like, remember, what James Gunn is saying here is that this is the most watched Red Band trailer. Some people are confusing us, saying, wait a minute, there have been R-rated movies that have had larger, tra- yeah, R-rated <laughs> yes. movies, but not red band trailers. Those are two different things. So just to make sure you understand that distinction. I guess the question is for you guys. What did you think about this news? Like The Suicide Squad trailer is now the most viewed trailer, red band trailer in history, at least in its first week, which is when they count those numbers. Has it done anything for you? Do you think this speaks to how much people are looking forward to this? Yes or no? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. And and by the way, uh, Shormick Affy in the live chat sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic gets submitted to us by... Trevor Donegan, Trevor Donegan writes, Hey, John, very big fan of the show. Thank you so much, Trevor. I was very skeptical and nervous about Space Jam, A New Legacy. Growing up, loving the first one, I wasn't sure. The trailer, uh, the trailer for it dropped this weekend, and I have to say I liked it. I'm very interested, and it caught my eye. I'm looking more forward to this movie. What do you think of the trailer? Thanks, and stay awesome. All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And Rob, I have almost lost, I've lost track how long we've been talking about or how long it's been <laughs> talked about this Space Jam sequel with LeBron James. It's been years. Like, it feels like it's been a number of years that we've been talking about it. But, of course, they went into production. They got it made. The first trailer had come out. And here it is. Now, look, full admission, I am not the biggest fan in the world of the original Space Jam. I know for a lot of people, it's like very, very special. It's like Wizard of Oz. Like for some people, it's like they have fond childhood memories of it. They're really attached to it. I liked it. Don't get me wrong, but I I never thought it was anything incredibly special. So that's just me. So now they're doing another one with LeBron James. And the the first trailer comes out. And I went and gave it a peek. And I got to tell you, I'm not impressed. I, I didn't think it was that great of a trailer. Now, before anybody starts thinking, oh, you must be one of those LeBron James haters. Oh, actually, no, I am a huge fan of LeBron James. I am a massive fan of LeBron James. I think he's incredible. But I didn't see anything in this trailer that made me go, wow, I really got to see this. And and maybe that has something to do, admittedly, with the fact that I wasn't the biggest, like the, a huge fan of the original Space Jam. And I'm not saying this movie isn't going to be good. We're just talking about the trailer. I, I just have to admit to me... The trailer at best looked meh. I did kind of like Rob. I liked the, although it felt very, very much like Ready Player One, but there was a lot in this trailer that felt like I was like, wait, is Spielberg directing this? It felt like Ready Player One, but seeing all those other characters and everything, there were a few moments that were kind of fun. Like when Daffy says, Sam, shoot this ball. <laughs> and Yosemite Sam, I'm like, okay, that that's pretty funny. I like Yosemite Sam, but... Um, yeah, I, I'm just going to say, oh, remember, the job of a trailer, Rob, we're always saying this, is to take your excitement level, no matter how low it is or how high it is, and bump it up a couple of notches. And I got to say, this trailer didn't make me any more excited for the movie, but that's just my take. Anyway, Rob, you had a chance to see this trailer for Space Jam 2, 
What did you think about it? Well, I had no idea what it was going to be. You know, like like you, I'm not a huge – I don't have some nostalgic attachment to the original film. I mean, it was fine. I kind of thought it was a mess all over the place. But I have to say, watching this trailer made me more – mildly more interested than I was before. Only because, I mean, it looks pretty wacky and pretty kind of over the top. But in an interesting way, like maybe more interesting than I thought it was going to be. And uh, I have to say that it did it did make my interest level rise. All a right. Bit, a bit. I'm not saying I'm going to run out and see this immediately. But, again, it also put a smile on my face a little bit. Maybe not as big a smile as the Suicide Squad trailer put on my face. But... I'll, it, 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 you know what? I had really no interest in seeing this. Now I do. So that's something. I mean, th- that I mean mo- that. Hey, what else can you? That's the best. That's the best testimony you can give a trailer. When you look at a trailer and say, "I wasn't interested in this movie, and now I am." Yeah. Trailer did its job, and you know what? I'm seeing online a bunch of people actually really enjoyed that trailer. I think I'm in the minority here. Uh, I just, I just didn't think it was that good. It didn't make me interested in seeing the movie, but for a lot of people, it did. For you, it clearly did. Question is for you guys: Did it make you any more interested in seeing Space Jam Two? What did you think of this trailer? Did it live up to your expectations? Did you have no expectations? What are you guys thinking? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic. Which topic are we on? Main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Kevin Finn. And Kevin Finn writes, Hey, John and Rob, how about that damn Black Widow trailer? It was clearly the it was clearly the best trailer yet for this film. It definitely renewed my hype for this film. I can't wait to experience it on the big screen when the time comes. I know you often mention Black Widow and Hawkeye not headlining, but what did you think? The hype train is back on track? Thanks. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Kev. And yes, there has been Rob, you know, we were talking about this a while ago like with with the delay of Black Widow. The Black Widow um the Black Widow marketing machine was already in full push for its release date. Then it started back up again for its other release date. Then they got pulled again. So they had basically, you know, blown their proverbial load trying to get all the marketing out there and stuff. And we talked, I remember a while ago about, you know, when it does come time to put this movie out, are they going to put new, are they going to put together more trailers? Cause they thought they were done having to make trailers. They thought right. they were done having to make trailers for this thing. Oh, contraire. Oh, contraire indeed. They put together a new trailer. And I, I got to tell you, I thought this trailer was the best one yet. I thought this trailer for Black Widow, this one that they put out now, was absolutely the best one yet. And because it felt more character focused to me, you know, it focused in more on the characters themselves. I particularly love that shot where it's the younger version of of Natasha and Yelena with David Harbour as their dad saying, my girls are the strongest. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know why, for some reason, that shot really appealed to me. And and finding out more that this is really going to be focusing in on her character. Now, it, we also got a little bit of knowledge about this. This comes to us from Cinema Blend, who writes, uh, in Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff, that's Black Widow, confronts the darker parts of her, 
of her ledger when a dangerous conspiracy uh, with ties to her past arises, pursued by a force that will stop at nothing to bring her down. Natasha must deal with her history as a spy and the broken relationships left in the in her wake long before she became an Avenger. Um, directed by Kate Shortland and produced by Kevin Feige, the movie stars Scarlett Johansson reprising her roles. Natasha Romanoff, Florence Pugh stars as Yelena, and she looks great in that, by the way. David Harbour as Alexi, uh, a.k.a. Red Guardian, and Rachel Weisz as Melina. That, of course, comes to us from Cinema Blend. And I, listen, again, you guys know I I love Black Widow in the MCU. I love Hawkeye in the MCU. I think they are fabulous role players in the MCU, and I love seeing them in the MCU. But I have never been all that interested in solo projects from either Black Widow or Hawkeye. And here we are. We have solo projects coming for both Black Widow and for Hawkeye on Disney Plus shortly. That's coming. But I have to admit, while the trailer started to win me over before, I, I think it's official now, Rob. I'm excited for this movie now. Like, I, I obviously, it's Kevin Feige doing MCU. I'm looking, I've always looked forward to it. It's like, yeah, I'll see it. Not super stoked this Black Widow, but whatever. I got to say, I think I've come full circle now that I am legit just, not just excited for a Black Widow. I'm legit excited, period, for this now. And I think this trailer is what did it for me. Again, seeing more... Uh, in this trailer, of it being more character grounded, uh, this I'm really looking forward to David Harbor in this as their dad. I'm a big David Harbor fan. I'm really looking forward to seeing how what he does in this. So for me, this thing was a big win. Rob, first of all, did you think it was even necessary to do yet another trailer for Black Widow now that it's finally going to be coming out? And what did you make of the trailer overall? Well, you know, I've I've been always been a fan of this movie coming out because I'm a you know I'm a huge James Bond fan and I love movies about spies and espionage and all that. And I, I think as you did, this is the best trailer that's come out because it leaned more heavily. Like we know they can do action, but this did lean more heavily into the story of. I mean, I didn't expect to see young Scarlett Johansson or an actress playing young Natasha Romanoff. I mean, uh, you, you realize that we're really going to delve into her past and we're really going to see their family dynamic. And uh, again, I should have, I should just know that the, these movies are going to be character driven. Cause that's why I've, I've, I've really liked them there and the action will be great, but it gave us a little bit more of a glimpse of the plot itself. And, uh, Francis, uh, of Florence, Francis, Florence Pugh, I'm beginning, I'm falling madly in love with her after each performance she gives. She looks badass too. And I, I think that there's nothing about this film that I'm not digging. And even the effects like that fly, that, that free fall sequence after watching Falcon and winter soldier and knowing how they can do flying effects, like flying effects are notoriously difficult to pull off and make them convincing. This, this movie looks like it's just everything I want. So I, I can't wait to see it. I'm kind of bummed it's not coming out in May now, especially on the heels of Godzilla versus Kong. People want to go back to theaters, clearly. But I guess I can wait a little longer. You know, it's with Florence Pugh, too, because correct me if I'm wrong, but did they not, is it not already officially announced that she's also going to be appearing in the Hawkeye series? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like they're moving. Yeah. She's going to be playing Yelena in the Hawkeye series. So clearly they have plans for her and this character moving forward. Uh, again, I... I I don't know. Maybe the movie will suck. Of course, it might suck. But I, I got to tell you right now, this new trailer has really bumped up my anticipation level yep. at, for a character that I have never been all that interested in seeing in a solo project. Question is for you guys. 
Did you have a chance to see the new Black Widow trailer? If so, what did you think? Was it even necessary for them to put together new trailers for this? Maybe you thought it was a little bit of a waste of time. How are you guys feeling about it? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Stephen Calderon, who writes, I saw Godzilla vs. Kong in theaters on Saturday. Loved it. The film delivered a record opening during the pandemic with 48.5 million in the first five days. This is a great sign for the box office. Do you think this means more people saw this film in theaters rather than sitting at home to watch it on HBO Max? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Steve. And yeah, of course, for the last while, we've been talking about Godzilla vs. Kong. I went to go see this damn thing in a movie theater the way it's meant to be seen. I had a great time. Is the storyline the best? Absolutely not. Are the human characters great? Absolutely not. Actually, half of the human characters didn't even need to be in the movie. But this movie delivered. It was exactly what we needed. It was this big screen, big spectacle, Godzilla fighting Kong, uh, great bat, multiple battles, by the way, multiple battles, which, you know, you could kind of get a sense from because in the trailers, you see them fighting in the city, you see them fighting on an aircraft carrier. So it ain't just one Godzilla versus Kong fight. It's multiple fights. Plus we see them fighting other monsters at the same time. And it was great. And I don't care what anybody says. I like the little girl in this movie. I like the little girl in this movie that I could do without a lot of the other human characters, but I thought it was wonderful. Anyway, we talked last week about this incredible opening that it had of like nine something million dollars on its opening day. It just wrapped up its first five days after the weekend. The official weekend number is about 38 point something million dollars. Its first five day opening is forty eight point five million dollars, forty eight point five million dollars. Let's put this into perspective, shall we? Godzilla King of the Monsters with no pandemic, with no limited seating in theaters, and with no free option to watch on TV in your little hobbit hole on your television. With none of that, the five-day opening for Godzilla King of the Monsters was $56 million. And that's not bad. I mean, they were hoping for better for that movie, but that's not a bad opening. With no watching at home option with no pandemic and no limited capacity theater seating five day $56 million Godzilla versus Kong where people had the option to just sit at home and watch it if they wanted to, where there are people still really nervous about going out to theaters. Understandably, there are people still nervous about going back to theaters because of the pandemic. And even if they wanted to go to the theaters, a lot of people, I've got friends of mine, Rob, weren't able to see it this weekend because when they were free to go see it, the showtimes were sold out because of limited capacity. And it made like less than $8 million difference. Now, this is not a great sign for Godzilla versus Kong, nor is it a bad sign for Godzilla King of the Monsters. What this image right here, I think what this tells us is that people are excited to go to the movies again. People are excited. And Rob, let's not pretend like Godzilla versus Kong is Avengers Endgame. Let's not pretend like 
Kong Skull Island or Godzilla King of the Monsters were any like big monstrous box office hits. Right. This is Godzilla versus Kong. This to me, more than anything else, definitively ends the argument that do you think people are just dying to get back to the theater? I think so. I think people are dying to go back. It's going to be really interesting to see once some of these others start opening up. And by the way, nobody, nobody's talking about nobody, but nobody didn't do bad for a little low budget indie little action film. And by the way, that movie is fantastic. If you haven't seen nobody yet, go see nobody. But Rob, I think these results for Godzilla versus Kong uh, do two things. I think they're incredibly encouraging for the studios. And I, I'm not going to lie, Rob. I think today there are discussions going on right now in the corporate hallways of Disney about going back and changing their mind on how they're going to release Black Widow. I'm not I'm not saying they're going to not do the $30 premium release. I'm not saying they're not going to do that, but I guarantee you right now at Disney they're having discussions. They're at least sitting down and going, guys, mother effing Kong versus Godzilla uh-huh. just just about made $50 million in its first five days. And by the way, you know how much it made for premium video on demand? $3 million. In premium video on demand, $3 million. It's made, Rob, $286 million worldwide already. $286 million worldwide already. I guarantee that Bob Iger and Bob Chapek are on the phone, maybe with Alan Horn and a couple, and, and obviously they're going to loop in Kevin Feige into this and say, look, and we, we sort of were nervous about the environment. So we said, we're going to do black widow with premium on demand and theaters. Should we just go straight to theaters? I, and again, I don't know if they're going to do that, but I think the discussions are happening. Rob, I also think this is incredibly encouraging for the theater industry. To, to see, like, our first real big film, and, and not even monster blockbuster, no pun intended, not even a monstrously big blockbuster film, but uh, the first big film to come out, you know, there, there are vaccinations happening. Are people feeling comfortable? Are we back to 2019 levels? No way. We got a long way to go for that. But this has got to be encouraging for the studios and for the theatrical industry at the same time. And I tell you who else, Rob, it is encouraging for people like us, movie theater goers, to yep. get back in the movie theater. I watched Nobody. I watched Godzilla versus Kong. It was so much fun, and it's so good to see so many people want to go back and watch it as well. Anyway, Rob, you know you had a chance to watch the movie itself, but really focusing on the box office results, what do you think about these results, and what do you think the implications of, of this kind of success could be? Well, clearly, people want to go back to the theaters. They want that communal experience, and, and I think they looked at this Everyone knew this kind of, it's a ridiculous kaiju film and all that, but what fun. Like, this movie promised people fun. Seemingly, it delivered. A lot of people went to the theaters. AMC stock is up this morning, John. Uh, (laughs) I think that that this shows that people want, I mean, going to the movies is a a luxurious pleasure that we've had. Even during the Great Depression, when people were so poor, they would go to the movies and make themselves feel better. Movies are a thing that, that promise a good time and and to have those taken away from our society it's it's that was a bad thing and i think that that having movies come back it's sort of a respite from the real world and it it people want that they want to go back and 
I, I I think you're right. I think they're probably talking at Disney going, look, you know, 300 million, this movie could top out. It might make another 200 million worldwide, depending, because there's not a lot of competition. And if this movie during a pandemic still, when not everyone's been vaccinated, if this could top out at $500 million, that's a lot of money. And that, that adds that value that a theatrical release gives to a film. And I think it's really important. And I think that these are really good numbers this movie put up, especially considering where we're at right now. I mean, imagine if we weren't in a pandemic. This might have shattered all the MonsterVerse box office records or the, the numbers of the last three films. This could have been yeah. – could have made $100 million. So, you know, if they – obviously, we're not getting Black Widow until July, but that's two and a half – well, two months, two more months. Oh, Actually, it's two and a half more, almost three months until it opens – so the world could be even in better shape then. More people vaccinated, more people going to the theater. So it could be a could be a big deal. I think all in all, this is pretty much a win for everyone. And I think as far as Black Widow is concerned, it bodes well for its theatrical numbers. I mean, I wouldn't right now, knowing what I know, I wouldn't put it up on Disney Plus yet. I'd make it go theatrical only. And then put it up on Disney Plus later and get the benefits yeah. of both worlds. Yep. Here's yep. here's an interesting thing. Now, th there are so many asterisks you have to put beside this fact I'm about to mention. Many, 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 many asterisks. It's, this is just a, a great, interesting factoid anecdotally. So let's look back for a couple of different Warner Brothers projects. Godzilla vs. Kong and Wonder Woman uh, 1984. Wonder Woman 1984, they said in its first week, uh, had 2.2 million views. 2.2 million views on HBO Max. Okay. Godzilla vs. Kong. We'll take the international numbers out of it. And we'll just look at the North American numbers in its five-day at 48.5. With a national average ticket price of $10.00. That, that includes the prime time screenings and the low, low cheap matinee screenings and everything. The average ticket price in the United States is hovering around $10. That, Rob, means 4.8 million people went to go to the theater to go see this. And that's not counting the rest of the world. That's only counting the North American box office. 4.8 million people went out to go see this thing while just the ability to sit at home and watch it 2.2 watched wonder woman 1984 i don't think that says again i don't think that says anything great about godzilla versus kong i don't think that says anything negative about wonder woman 84 i think that just again kind of anecdotally kind of points to people love the movie going experience and and i think that speaks to that and so i don't know rob you know we've got other films upcoming now, Godzilla versus Kong was really the first out of the gate here. I mean, yes, you know, Ryan the Last Dragon, and yes, a, a while ago there was Tenet, but this is really, with the people starting to get vaccinations, this was the first one out of the gate. Do you think this is an indicator of how things are going to be? Or do you think, you know, being the first one out of the gate, Godzilla versus Kong had a little bit of that extra advantage that people were just dying to get back? I don't know. What do you think we can now expect from other theatrical releases in the next three, four, five months? Well, you know, I think, look, there's a lot of not everybody even loves giant monster movies. That's something that doesn't necessarily appeal to everyone. I think this is an indicator. It's a bell, sort of a bellwether as to all big budget films. I mean, we got some really good stuff coming into theaters, whether it's Black Widow, whether it's Fast and Furious, you know, whether it's Dune. 
um, there's a lot of really high ticket marquee items that are coming our way theatrically. And I think this really does bode well that people are going to want to see these event pictures that at least deliver. I mean, everyone, this movie isn't even like high art. People are like, I just want to see the monster fights, you know, and, and, and they went and, and people seem to be enjoying it and it plays well on the big screen and big and loud and uh, puts a smile on your face. And I think that, look, I, I can't wait. I mean, I didn't go to the theater and I was bummed out. I didn't go. I get my vaccination a week from tomorrow. So Good on you. Good. Yeah. I can't wait to uh, go, I guess, risk free or as risk free as you can be. Uh, into a theater and see a film because I, John, I've been to a movie theater in um, almost fourteen months, oh, and I, I can't believe that. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm looking for. I'm getting my second shot. I'm getting my second vaccination in two weeks. Uh, the Pfizer, I, I got the Pfizer variant of it, and uh, just you know, so Anna and I are actually talking about maybe taking a trip to Vegas because she gets her third shot the same day or her second shot the same day I do. So, anyway, guys, question is for you. Godzilla versus Kong. Remember, keep this in mind. About a month or so ago, they were estimating twenty to twenty-five million for the first five days. It's come close to fifty. It's going to cross three hundred. Rob, you were pointing this out earlier. It's going to cross three hundred million worldwide today. Today, it's going to cross three hundred million worldwide. Incredible success. What do you think the ramifications are of this? What messages can we take from this kind of success, as if any? What do you guys think about this? Jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on over and start taking your live questions, shall we? And let's not waste any time and jump right into it with your live questions. We're going to get things started here with Sempigar, uh, who writes in, My favorite MCU film is Civil War. My favorite MCU characters are Cap and Bucky Barnes slash Winter Soldier. Bucky takes on Tony, Natasha, T'Challa, and Sharon and wins. Well, he he did. Well, just be clear. He didn't. Tony wasn't in his armor, so that doesn't really count. Uh, Natasha doesn't have super soldier serum. Neither does Sharon. He had to run away from T'Challa. So let's just let's just be clear on, on Bucky's win-loss record, shall we? Let's be clear on his win-loss record. Anyway, watching Tony say, do you even remember them? Bucky, I remember all the means more now. Rob, that is a great point that Sempigar brings up because, you know, the biggest struggle and obstacle for Bucky right now is his own guilt his own struggle like this is the stuff he's shaking with more and you're right that now that we've seen a few episodes of of falcon and winter soldier and what he's dealing with as we reflect back on that line now when bucky says i remember all of them it really makes it even heavier now what do you think about that well i i i think so too i i mean a lot of this show is is him dealing with trauma in some way shape or form which is kind of also what WandaVision was dealing with and and I think yes. le- legitimately so and and it gives just more dimension and more more uh, weight to the character and you know we really we haven't delved into that and I think that I, I you know Sebastian Stan is really I think killing it on the series I've I've been a huge fan of what I've seen out of uh of this show because it's it's kind of exactly what I wanted it to be you know, and I, we are getting that lethal weapon, that action, the, the the buddy cop action thriller vibe. But I'm really enjoying 
how they're expanding the role of of the rest of the world, like Madripoor and meeting Sharon again, and and Baron Zemo, Daniel Bruhl is just crushing it. But at the heart of it all, they're not forgetting that it's Sam and Bucky's show. And we're really getting glimpses of who they are as characters, more so than we've ever been given before. And I, I think it's fascinating and it's really working for me. Look, I really so, should share this. I should save this, I should say, for our Falcon and Winter Soldier spoiler discussion a little bit later today. Don't forget, guys, that's at 4.30 p.m. today. Make sure you come join us. But can I say one thing that is just drove me nuts about the latest episode? Here's the thing that drove me nuts about the latest episode. And, there's, and this speaks to a little bit of inconsistency in the show. Okay. Sam Wilson walks into a bank. Little banker, I know you. Oh, you're the Falcon from the Avengers. Sam Wilson walking down the street and a little kid. It's Black Falcon. I thought that was really funny, by the way. It's Black Falcon, blah, blah, blah. Yet a crime lord, well-versed in what's going on in the world, is standing right in front of an Avenger and has no... No, I'm Smiling Tiger. I'm the rapper. What? Nobody in that club recognized, oh, look, it's Sam Wilson, the Avenger. Nobody recognized, all of us, like, he's walking down the street and everybody knows who he is. Suddenly, though, nobody can recognize him. I, I thought that was so dumb. That part drove me crazy. That part drove me crazy. But anyway, I'll we'll talk more about that on the spoiler discussion a little bit later today. Let's get back over to your questions, shall we? Uh, next one up comes to us from Caleb, who writes, um, I think a 45 day window is a good balance for theaters and studios. Endgame made 95% of its domestic box office in that time. And most people I think wouldn't wait seven weekends on a big film. PS what, uh, what's Regal's recourse. If Warner brothers reneges, can they sue for lost profits? Well, first of all, just going to the whole idea about the 45 day window. I agree five years ago, that wouldn't have worked. But more and more, and we've been talking about this on the show, when you analyze the movie-going habits of the general audience, people, more and more people see a film, if they're going to see it at all, in its first like week or two of a release. Very small percentage of the, of the movie-going audience sees it in its fourth, fifth, or sixth week. It's a much smaller, smaller number. So actually, a 45-day window, while well, maybe a little bit on the short side, is still within what I believe to be acceptable parameters. As far as what is Regal's or AMC's or any movie theater's recourse if Warner Brothers reneges, like they say, you know, when when Warner Brothers or any studio puts a movie in a theater, they sign a contract that basically states we will not make the studio says we will not make this movie available on public home viewing for X number of days. That's a contract. If Warner Brothers or anybody then violates that contract, then it'll be the same repercussions for anybody violating a contract. They could be massive. Um, and, you know, something when, especially when you're dealing in a business with such high stakes, the ramifications for something that somebody like a Warner Brothers or a Disney or a Paramount or anybody that breaks that contract would be financially severe. And that's why they're constantly negotiating so hard to come to the agreements that they come to, because once those agreements are signed, you got to honor them and it's done on a per film basis. So, but once those deals are signed, so the ramifications would be pretty severe, Caleb, if that were to happen. All right, next up. 
Benjamin Mason writes, Godzilla vs. Kong was so epic on the big screen, watching this movie on a TV would just not hit the same. Honestly, I didn't even mind the human characters in this. They weren't the focus, and it really helped give context for the monsters for me. I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed it too. Now, I had it on my television this weekend as I had some family over for Easter, and you know my brother-in-law hadn't seen it yet. And it was still good, but it was not as good of an experience as compared to watching it on the big screen. So it is definitely something to go see. And I got to tell you, Benjamin, yeah. Is it going to win any Oscars? Nah. Is it Shakespearean level writing? Nah. But I had a damn good time. I'm glad you did too. All right. uh, Jared's Reviews writes, one of two. Hey, John. I hope everyone is having a great day. I have two questions that are each separated into its own part. First question is, uh, I am going to see Godzilla vs. Kong today. This was written on Thursday. But since it's also premiering on HBO Max, when are we able to start openly talking about the movie on your channel? Uh, One week, two weeks, one month. Just curious for other uh, HBO Max movies like Mortal Kombat and Suicide Squad when they eventually release. All right. Normally, we don't talk spoilers until a movie is done. It's full theatrical run. But... For movies like Godzilla vs. Kong, which are also available for home viewing, for so a lot more people have the ability to go and watch it, I'm going to say in one week. One week we can start talking openly about it, because if you want to see Godzilla vs. Kong, you have the you have options to see it. So I'm going to say one week on that, Jared. And part two of two, uh, second question is, what do you think are the chances we get a new Justice League movie? This is interesting, Rob. Uh, What do you think are the chances we get a new Justice League movie announcement in five years? So not a movie being released in the next five years, but an official confirmation that Warner Brothers is developing a Justice League 2 or revamped Justice League. Thanks and glad to see you are officially moved in and finished that hard work on your backyard. Well, thank you so much for that, man. I appreciate that. And Rob, that does become a big question right now. With the status of Warner Brothers, I mean, we got Black Adam coming, we got Suicide Squad coming, we got that Green Lantern project coming, we got a lot of things on the go. I'll I'll go so far as to say this, Rob. I would be shocked if we got to 2026 and didn't at least have an official announcement about the next iteration of Justice League. I'll be shocked. So I'm not going to sit here and say 100% chance that we'll get an official announcement of a new Justice League by within five years, but I'll say like 95%. Like I, I would be I would be completely, completely surprised. I think Walter Hamada and his uh, probably counsel have already come up with their roadmap to the next Justice League, and I don't think either Hamada wants to wait six or seven years for it, and I don't think the Warner Brothers shareholders want to wait six or seven years for it, but uh, again, I think I'd be shocked if we didn't get an announcement in the next five years. What do you think about that, Rob? I, you know, I think that we could get an announcement. I think it's really going to depend on, obviously, Aquaman would be the 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 standalone movie that made a billion dollars. So yes. we know that Aquaman is definitely going to be in the new Justice League movie. But after the pandemic, if Wonder Woman three makes a billion dollars, and say Black Adam makes a billion dollars, and if they have or not a billion, but close to it. You know, if they can develop these individual single films that are viable on their own, it makes sense to put these characters together into another Justice League film. And it might look different than the last Justice League movie, um, but I, I, I bet we'll get one probably even sooner than, what, 26, you said 2026? Yeah. I think we'd probably get one even before then. 
Yeah, but it, again, it'll be, I think, more performance-based. Because, look, who doesn't like these characters? And I have to say, one of the things that I love the most about Zack Snyder's Justice League is the interaction between the characters. I, I liked it. I liked it more than the wacky sort of forced humor of the the only scene I missed from Zack's, uh, from uh, 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 Justice League was the scene where Aquaman's telling the truth because uh, uh, Diana's lasso, her magic lasso is touching his foot or something. <laughs> I like that scene, but I, it, you know, it didn't really belong in Zack Snyder's Justice League, but I like seeing those characters work together. I, I, I would like to see that group together again. And it, it even Ben Affleck and, you know, he's getting older, but bring him back. And I, I liked it. I'd like to see those characters come together and in, in another justice league movie. Yeah, I, I think we all know that we're not going to see Ben back in that, unfortunately. I know, I know, I know. Unfortunately. I know. I'll tell you, the, the one scene that I really missed from the theatrical version, well, there, there were two that I missed. Uh, I, I personally didn't miss the lasso one, but the two that I did miss was I really did love that that exchange between Superman and Batman like when he first awakes and Superman is battling the Justice League and Batman says to him, the world needs you, and Superman looks at him and says, but does it need you? And I loved that line. Yeah. Uh, I also really missed uh, the one Ezra Miller part that I really did like in the theatrical version was when Batman, again, it involves obviously any of my favorite parts involve Ben Affleck's Batman. But when Ben Affleck is talking to Ezra Miller and they're in the underground sewer system and they're getting ready to go into fight and Ezra gives this thing, it's like, I've never gone into battle. Like I, I, I go and I push people out of the way. Like, and Batman <laughs> right. says to him, I love what Batman said to him. Batman says, just save one person. Just save one. Because Batman knew that once you do it the one time, you're going to discover a part of yourself that you didn't even realize was there. And that was the yeah. subtext to it, right? And I yeah. really did like that one part. I understand why why they cut that out because that wasn't part of Zack's original movie. So I totally understand why they cut those scenes out. But I, I did find myself the two parts from the theatrical actually missed were those two scenes. But anyway, okay, let's move on, shall we? Um, okay. Uh, Calvin Severo writes, Hey John, about those movies coming back after years after release, what happens if it passes a milestone like Harry Potter one and it triggers some actors bonuses breakpoint? Will he or she get paid or is bonus just for the first one? Thanks and all the best. That's a great question, Rob. I think one of the things you have to understand is like literally every contract is unique. There will be many things about all the contracts that are standard, but every single contract, because every contract has to be individually negotiated, may have a few little finer points and differences. My assumption here, Rob, tell me what you think about this, is that basically speaking, yeah, if you have, an, if you're an actor in, you know, uh, uh, Gus's fart machine, the movie, and you have in your contract that if this movie breaks 200 million at the box office, I get a $500,000 bonus. And Gus's fart machine makes 1. Point, or $199 million at the box office. So you don't get your bonus. 10 years later, there's this big cult-like revival of the film and they decided to put it out theatrically again. They do a quick one-week re-release and it makes that extra million dollars. It crosses the $200 million threshold. My understanding is then 
Yeah, unless you the studio specifically negotiated something into the contract that bars it from subsequent releases, then I think generally speaking, yeah, those actors would be entitled to whatever bonuses get triggered by certain milestones being hit. So I would say, yes, Rob, you're a little bit more closely connected to that, but how do you think that would work out? I, I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, unless the unless the contract is somehow not that specific or it, it, it is what it is uh, on a re-release or something. If you hit a certain milestone, it still counts as far as the theatrical release. You know, it's not you wouldn't be like, well, a re-release doesn't count unless, of course, it says that in the contract. That's why it's so important. My old adage, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. You know, you have to be really careful in terms of whenever you're negotiating something, exactly what your contract says, because I'm I'm a big I'm a big believer in that. Just put it down on paper, so there's no, you can't argue what 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 we thought of when we were coming up with this idea. It's right there, so you've got to be very very specific. And if it says, hey, if it makes two hundred, your, your example, two hundred million dollars, you get a bonus. It doesn't matter whether it was a re-release or not. Anything theatrical. If that's what it says in the contract, you get money. A quick, quick story to what you were just saying. So I was doing something with Lionsgate and we had agreed verbally on certain things. And so their department then sent me the contract to review. And I'm like, oh, I sent back some notes. I'm saying there's no clause in there about this, which we discussed and agreed on. And they got back to me. It's like, Oh yeah, yeah, you don't have to worry about that. Like that's going to be standard. Don't worry about that. We don't actually have to put in the contract. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, you may or may not know this, but I worked in law for a number of years and I damn well know that that has to be in writing in the contract. So yes, put that in the, and, and so it created some tension, but it did get done and it was all fine. And I'm sure they probably weren't trying to scam me, but so they, they put it in and it was all fine. But yes, you're right, Rob. In anything, it's not just the entertainment business. This is good for any of you guys. Anytime, anytime you're getting into any contractual agreement, whether it's your car purchase, the purchase of a home, a performance contract, whatever it is, don't just take what you guys discussed as being now official. Get it in writing. Always get it in writing. It's it's a very, very important thing to do. Um, anyway, let's move on here. And next up, Calvin also writes, also with Murder on the Orient Express and Johnny Depp and now Death on the Nile and Army Hammer, will the next uh, Detective Pierrot movie predict the next lead male actor scandal? Uh, I guess that's kind of true. You go back to Johnny Depp being in uh, Murder on the Orient Express, the Army Hammer and this. Bah. I mean, it's, yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe, uh, uh, maybe Kenneth Braun is cursed, man. Maybe Kenneth Braun is cursed. Any actor that appears in one of his movies now are going to be destined to get some kind of massive scandal. Good observation, Calvin. All right. Charles Richardson writes, I feel like nowadays some critics judge a movie not on story or character, but on the movie's message and if it fits their perspective. It's no wonder some movies have overt messages that supersede story or character. Uh, do you agree? And how can films change? Well, I mean, here's the, the thing, Charles. You have to remember, do some critics do that? Oh, I'm sure there are some that do. Um, but do average moviegoers do that? Oh, you bet your ass. Average, there are there are some average moviegoers that do that too. And you got to remember that at the end of the day, like film critics are at first and foremost, they're film fans. And all of us, listen, movies are experiential events. 
And we all experience them in different ways. And some things mean more to certain people than to others. That's just the way we're built. And maybe to some people, part of their enjoyment, it might be you, it might be your mom, it might be a film critic for the New York Times. Some people, what really hits them the most and gives them their experience is the message of the movie. I'm not one of those. To, to be honest with you, I'm not one of those. I'm more about the character and the story. I'm not really much one for the message of a movie. But there are people who that does affect them more seriously. And there's nothing right or wrong about that. Rob, the movie I always go back to when talking about how much should the message of the movie influence your enjoyment of the film. The one I always go back to is Million Dollar Baby. Uh, Clint Eastwood masterpiece. Won many Academy Awards. Yeah, nominated for many Academy Awards. One of Clint Eastwood's best movies. At the end of the film, and by the way, this, this movie's like, I don't know, 20 years old. If you haven't seen it, then you're not interested in it. But just to give you a bit of a warning, I'm going to give a bit of a spoiler here, okay? At the end of the movie, um, and what was the name of the actress who, who was in that? She won two Academy Awards, one for this movie. Hillary Swank. Hillary Swank, thank you. She won an Academy Award for this. She won, She's won two Academy Awards. She's great. But Hilary Swank's character ends up paralyzed and she's in the hospital and she tells Clint Eastwood she doesn't want to live. If she can't, if she can't box, if she can't fight, if she has to live paralyzed, she'd rather die. And she asks Clint Eastwood's character to help her die. Um, and so Clint Eastwood's character goes off. He agonizes over the decision and ultimately he decides to help her kill herself. This caused a lot of controversy at the time. There were even protests in front of the Academy Awards that year saying Clint Eastwood thinks handicapped people should be put to sleep. Clint Eastwood thinks that. And it's like at the end of the day, no, no, no. Clint Eastwood isn't saying he believed. Clint Eastwood is just saying it's presenting us a story about this fictional character, a, 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 a conundrum that they faced and the decisions that they made. He wasn't making any sort of statement about what everybody should or should not do or the value of life or anything like that. He's just, this is the story of a guy who faced this decision and made this decision. For some people, and I don't think this is either right or wrong, for some people, the message of the movie impacts them more than it does other. Maybe that took away from their enjoyment of the film. For me, it doesn't. It's just, it's, it's not a guidebook for life. It's the story about different characters making different decisions under different circumstances. And so that means it to me. But yes, when you ask, do some critics do that? I'm sure there are because there's a chunk of the movie going population that also gauges their enjoyment on whether the yeah. message is there. It doesn't for me, but that's part of the reason, Rob, why, why we're always talking about how you can get one movie and so many different people have so many different reactions to it. Anyway, you know, he's asking, you know, judging a movie by its message over its story or characters. How do you approach that? Well, like you, uh, like every story, I, I, I'm all about the characters and the story that's being told. And I think a great story, if it's a quote unquote message movie, the story has the message inherently baked into the story that's being told. It, it's not a part. It's not like, okay, here's the moment where the movie's gotten to the message it wants to impart to the audience. The story itself should have that baked into it. You know, I think about, I don't know why this just popped into my mind because you said Clint Eastwood. I'm thinking about Unforgiven. 
Mm. You know, now Unforgiven is a great deconstruction of the Western Western mythology, and and there's uh, there's a ta- there's a scene where 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 William Money is having a conversation with a Schofield kid, and the Schofield kid is horrified because he's killed his first man. He pretended with bravado that he'd done it before, but he really hadn't. You know, and he kills the he kills a guy while he's going to the bathroom. It's the most unglamorous thing ever. It wasn't a gunfight. And uh, Clint Eastwood is like, you know, you take a hell of a thing killing a man. You take everything he's gonna, he has and everything he's going to have. And um, uh, Schofield kids like, uh, well, I don't know, did he have it coming? And Clint Eastwood's like, we all have it coming, kid. <laughs> and that that's kind of the message of the film is you need to lead a life that's worth living. You know, you need to straighten up and fly right and – you need to really understand what priorities are, but it, it's, I wouldn't say that's the message of the movie, but it's definitely something that it's inherent in the story because this is something William Money has learned after his life of wickedness and drinking and being a horrible outlaw. Then he meets his wife and falls in love and she turned him into somebody else. And he realized what was important in life. And while that might not have been, the overt message of the movie, it was still baked into the story. And during those moments between Acewood and the Schofield kid, you get that message. It's there. And I think that's what makes Unforgiven as a deconstruction of the Western and as a great Western in its own right, a great movie. Because it does have something to say, but it's not like, here's a feel-good message movie. Certainly isn't that. But it has a message and it's there because the story and the characters. All right. And by the way, my favorite Western of all time. Still my favorite Western of all time. All right. Let's move on here. Uh, next up, uh, Calvin writes, uh, John, with all the air cut talk, eh, that's that's been put to rest. Uh, I thought I was crazy for a moment. I checked my Blu-ray box. And yes, I have an extended cut with 15 extra minutes. So uh, who did it if not air? Also, is two versions of the movie not being made by the same director. Well, here's the thing. There is a difference. And Rob, I think you'll back me up on this. There is a big difference between a director's cut versus uh, extra footage, right? Because the director's cut could fundamentally, you look at Kingdom of Heaven. It's not just that some scenes were were deleted. It, it's kind of, it's a little bit of a reorganization of the movie in some way. A director's cut, because they fundamentally changed a lot of Suicide Squad. They didn't just delete 15 minutes of stuff. They kind of changed a lot of the movie. This deleted 15 extra minutes cut back in is not, you know, Ayer's, you know, original vision. So, yes, sometimes they might be the same thing, but most of the times a director's cut versus, like, deleted scenes are two different things. Rob, how would you explain that? Well, uh, They are two different things. I mean, the difference sort of between uh, we we now live in this world, I think, where there's a schism between what people think is a theatrical version, what people think of as a director's cut. A lot of directors will tell you the theatrical versions of their movies are their director's cuts. But, you know, when you're making a movie at a studio, there's there's economic concerns. I mean, there sometimes directors are contractually obligated to deliver a certain cut. Like certainly Peter Jackson had that. I mean, the ultimate example to me of 
of theatrical cuts and director's cuts is the extended versions of Lord of the Rings. I prefer the extended versions of Lord of the Rings. I think they're much more fully realized, but Peter Jackson himself will tell you the theatrical versions of those movies were not compromised in any way. Like those are the movies that he wanted to make. The extended versions just enhance what is already there. Right. So, and I think with, uh, uh, it, it's just, look, you can add every single movie that comes out, John, as you know, has something cut for time or something that's extraneous or something that you don't need in it. But you're, you know, you, it might play better. Or if you, if you're making a movie, that's 90 minutes, it feels good. But after the movies come out, then you can release something that's longer and, and people have already been satisfied by it, and you're just giving them more of a good thing. So it, I think philosophically, there's a lot of, I don't know, what, what how you would, it depends, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, every every film's going to be unique, and every film's going to have to, I love, I, I personally, on the whole topic, I still always go back to, I've mentioned this a lot, I remember the Braveheart um, director's commentary for Braveheart, and Mel Gibson is talking and he's talking about a bunch of scenes that he deleted from the movie. Yeah. And he compared it to, he says, deleting a scene out of your movie, editing a scene out of your movie is like killing one of your children. He said, it's like you have put years into planning those scenes. You put hundreds, if not thousands of man hours into building sets and designing the costumes for them and getting the dialogue right for it. And then getting the crew together to shoot those scenes. And now you just cut it out just with one second decision. You cut those out of the movie, but he says at the end of the day, you have to say, you have to sit back and say, what makes for the better overall movie? Yep. Did this scene that I'm looking at right now, does it introduce any new information that's needed for the story? Does it have information in it that's already been given in the movie? Does it push the narrative forward? And he said, at the end of the day, no matter how good you think the scene is, if it doesn't do those things you got to take the, the scalpel to it and you got to cut it out. It makes for a better overall movie. And he said, and I love the way he described it. And I think more directors today maybe need to be reminded about that. Anyway, all right, let's move on here. Uh, Calvin writes, uh, last one, John, I just watched Godzilla versus Kong about 40 minutes in. I fell asleep. I woke up on the credits. So I returned to minute 40 and started watching again five minutes. And I was on Instagram with, <laughs> I was on Instagram with the movie's background. How uh, the maid how the made this boring? I well, I mean, listen again, Calvin. All film is subjective, man. You had an experience with it, and you found it boring, and I respect that. I just got to tell you, I had a totally different experience than you did. My experience was I was smiling ear to ear, I was bouncing in my seat, I was just having a really, really good time. And by the way, Rampage uh, Predacon sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, Rampage. I I found myself bouncing in my seat. I was having a great time, but you didn't. And that's okay. It's, it's too bad you didn't have the same experience I did. Uh, Calvin writes, until that, um, oh, this is two of two. Until half of the movie, Godzilla shows once for five seconds. That's not true. Uh, they, they had their first fight pretty early in the movie. Godzilla and Kong have their first fight pretty early in the movie. Anyway, until half the movie, Godzilla shows for five seconds. Uh, after that, he's just people talking for years with three really good fights. Uh, but the movie really... Uh, the movie really is people and Kong with guest Godzilla. Also, really unfulfilling end for Godzilla. Uh, hope Mortal Kombat is better. Again, like I just said before, I, I'm sorry that you had that experience. We all experience movies in different ways. Nothing wrong with your perception of it. I'm just telling you my experience was different. I had a 
blast watching this movie. Absolute blast. Uh, it is true, though, Rob, that it, the movie really is more King Kong's movie. It is Kong's movie. That That's that's for sure. But I thought everybody was well represented in it, other than the human characters. All right. Paths Unwritten Rights. Uh, oh, guten Tag, Superman. I am Stefan Wolf. Would you like a Havenswein and a Bratwurst? Wonder Woman loves Arvino Snitchel and Jägermeister. Now prepare to die. I, I'm not quite. Is that a mystery? Is that a Mystery Men reference? Is that a Casanova Frankenstein reference? I don't uh, recognize I'm, it otherwise. I'm thinking, uh, you know, a it, Bond it's, reference. Uh, uh, now I, I I keep thinking Princess Bride, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> Und Blattwurst, Wonderwoman loves Alvino Snitchel and the Jägermeister. I, I don't know. Maybe that's a Casanova Frankenstein thing. I'm not I'm not catching it. Anyway, um, mystery, Mr. Mystery writes, just saw Godzilla versus Kong. While it was a little cerebral for my taste, I'm just glad Hollywood has finally produced a blockbuster. Martin Scorsese can admire cinema. I don't know if that's sarcasm. Not, not, a, not a completely cerebral kind of movie. Godzilla versus Kong. Not completely cerebral, but I'm glad you enjoyed it, Mr. Mystery, on any level. BK Dan writes, hey, John, no comment. Just hoping that you feel better. Sending good vibes. I appreciate that, BK Dan. For those of you who don't know why people keep wishing me well, it's because uh, I developed, I found out I developed what's called a deep vein thrombosis, which is a, uh, a DVT, which is a blood clot in your leg, which causes a lot of pain, but can become serious if the blood clot then travels to your lung. It becomes a pulmonary embolism. That can be very, very serious. Fortunately, I did go to the hospital when I realized I was having a lot of pain in my leg. I've been on uh, medication. I've haven't been taking these syringes and sticking needles in my own stomach twice a day. That hasn't been fun. <laughs> but apparently, uh, by the way, guys, the message for this is this. My doctor told me, and Rob, you and I were talking about this. My doctor told me that one of the things that causes these a lot is people who go like on long car rides and never get out to stretch. Um, That can cause them. The bottom line is this, guys. If something doesn't feel right, get it checked out. Because I went almost a week without getting it checked out because I thought it was just a bad muscle pull. Um, and then I finally, I started to suspect when it lasted that long, I finally went. So message here, guys, and it's not just about your legs. If something feels off, go get it checked out because maybe it's nothing. It might be something more serious. So make sure you go and get it checked out. Anyway, that's the message of the day. Okay, thanks for that, BK Dan. Next up, A Silly Goose writes, I thought there are several theaters, although I should say, there are several theaters open near me. I drove two hours to see Godzilla vs. Kong in IMAX on Wednesday. I knew it had to be seen on the biggest screen possible. Uh, first movie I've seen in a theater in eight months, and I was smiling the whole time. And you are right. We often hear people, Silly Goose, use that phrase. Got to see it on the biggest screen possible. Godzilla versus Kong is absolutely lives up to that adage. Now, look, not everybody's in a position that they can go to a theater right now. Uh, so if you got to watch it on HBO Max, watch it on HBO Max. But if you have a viable option open to you to see it on the big screen, it is one you got to see on the biggest screen possible. Any movie screen will do. If you have the option for IMAX, do it. So good on you, silly goose, for making that extra effort, man. All right, next up, uh, Ryan Loner writes, I just had someone say to me, Barry obviously already traveled to the future and knew he and Iris were going to be married. Uh, what kind of Flash fan are you? Uh, my my days of not taking these people seriously are certainly coming to a middle. Yeah, I got to tell you, Ryan, that is the most fucking ridiculous thing anybody could have possibly said to you. 
That is the most ridiculous thing anybody could have said to you. So I I understand your sentiment, Ryan. I totally understand your sentiment. All right. Next up, Joseph L. writes, in honor of opening day, what are some of your favorite baseball movies? I'm not actually a big baseball fan, but a few of my favorite are League of Their Own. There's no crying in baseball. Major League, uh, Field of Dreams, and Bull Durham. Uh, actually, like all those movies. For me, Rob, I might have to say the natural. I might have to say the natural. As a ball flying out. Um, certainly a league of their own and a league of their own too. I love both those movies. I, I might go natural. If you had to say, Rob, what is your favorite baseball movie? Well, the natural is up there. Um, but I, I, I love bull Durham. Oh, bull Durham's great. You know, I, I, I mean, in terms of, of a movie that is about the spirit of what baseball is, and all that. I just, I love Bull Durham. Um, by the way, RWA uh, Keefe sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, RW. Appreciate that, man. Appreciate the support, dude. Appreciate that very much. All right. And by the way, oh, oh, Timothy Platt puts in one, another good one in the live chat. Sandlot. The oh, Sandlot. That's a good, yeah. that's a that's great a good one, one, too. Good call on that one, Timothy. Very, very good call on that one. All right. Uh, next up, let's go to Boris, who writes, Hey, John, what was the last midnight screening that was the most advanced screening there was? Up until the pandemic started, we've had them in Australia. Got to see all the Star Wars movies, Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. They're the best experience. And Rob, we've been talking for the last week or so about, remember the midnight screenings. And, yeah. and really, in the history of movies, midnight screenings had a relatively short life. Like, I don't remember midnight screenings before Phantom Menace. Um. Because I remember, I think for me, the first midnight screening I went to is like, oh my gosh, it opens on Friday, but I could go Thursday at midnight. Phantom yeah. Menace was the first one I remember. They may have been some before that. But then, you know, a number of years ago, instead of midnight, it would come out Thursday at 11 p.m. and then yep. 10 p.m. And, and now yep. you can get like a 6 p.m. screening on the Thursday. I don't remember what the last movie was where midnight was the earliest one you could see, but... I, I don't remember. I, I do miss going to those. I mean, I hated getting up for work the next day. I totally hated getting up for work or for school the next day. But those were fun experiences. But I must admit, if I could choose right now to have midnight screenings back or keep it the way it is today, that actually you can go Thursday at 7. I probably would keep going to Thursday at 7, to yeah. be honest with you. Uh, Rob, I don't see these midnight screenings ever coming back to you. No, I mean, I think that it's become a new industry standard to have that sort of call it preview night, you know, for people that really want to go see it. I mean, here, I really enjoy either going to dinner beforehand or going to see a seven o'clock show of the new movie, then going out to dinner and drinks afterwards and discuss it. And then I can still get to bed by midnight and have a regular work day the next day, because usually the next day we'd do a show like this and talk about whatever movie we saw. And it, it's better to be frosty so you can talk about it and really be on your game than it is to be like, oh, I'm tired, you know, yeah. <laughs> especially if you loved it and bring the enthusiasm with you. All right. Next up, uh, <laughs> Boris writes, 
Also, up to Wonder Woman being bulletproof or not, who's still talking about Wonder Woman being bulletproof? Uh, it bugs me because I don't understand how she can take a headbutt deep into the concrete, have a bell tower crash on her uh, without a drop of blood, but not be bulletproof. Aquaman tanked a grenade. So, well, you know, it's not just DC. L- let's look at Captain America. Captain America in the MCU, he takes, remember, Thanos beat Hulk. He beat up the Hulk. All right. Captain America took full-on shots from Thanos that you would think would have just instantly turned him to dust or split every fiber of flesh open, crushed his skull, but but he didn't. Cap- Captain America has been thrown through brick walls and just like took a second to catch his breath. He's been punched in the face by Thanos. He's taken all this stuff, but he's not bulletproof. You shoot Cap with a gun, it's going to pierce his skin. Even though that makes no logical sense. If there was a biological be- being that could take a punch to the face from Thanos and not have his brain splattered all over the place, you would think he could take a bullet. But Captain America can't take a bullet. He's not bulletproof. He can heal from it faster than most people, but he, he he's not bulletproof. So it's not like that that kind of inconsistency is only married to DC. MCU does it too, but it's for the sake of the comic story. It's for the sake of the comic story, Boris. All right, next up. Casey McNatt writes, um, one of three. Hey, John. Well, I did it. I went back to the movies. Not only did I end did I end my day off with Godzilla versus Kong, I also saw Nobody, and Nobody is awesome. You got to see Nobody, guys. It's so much fun. Uh, great film as well. It was great getting to sit in a theater again, and it was great to taste movie popcorn again. And from what I saw, the theaters were were following the protocols to keep people safe. As far as Godzilla vs. Kong goes, I loved it much better than Godzilla King of the Monsters, in my opinion. Wasn't too keen about all the human parts, but the monster fight bits were awesome. It was a great experience, and I cannot wait to go back next month for Mortal Kombat. Rob, I gotta say, one of the thing unexpected um, byproducts of how much fun I had watching Godzilla vs. Kong was the fact that I only got to wait a little while for Mortal Kombat. I I was like, after watching on the big screen and just thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get to sit in here again and I'm going to get to watch Sub-Zero and Scorpion stabbing each other with their own frozen blood and it's going to be awesome. And and I, it, it did, it did that, Casey. You know, we talk sometimes, Rob, about, you know, studios love... When other movies coming out before them get received great, because if you, if a movie delivers a great experience at a movie theater, then that person sitting in the movie theater, having a great experience, they're excited about coming back to the theaters for another great experience. And it's funny, but watching Godzilla versus King Kong just made me more excited. Like Casey is saying, it just made me more excited to go and watch Mortal Kombat. I am now more excited for Mortal Kombat than before I watched Godzilla versus Kong. I don't know. Do you find you have that sort sort of experience as well? Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, happiness begets happiness. <laughs> you, you know, and if you have an experience, it's like, I want more of this, you know, and, and let's have more of this. And I, I think that, you know, another thing, John, you know, movie going to us, to people who are big movie going fans, it's not just going to see a, a movie. 
there is an inner, I don't know, call it serenity, a feeling of, of just warm goodness that we have. We, the experience of seeing movies in a, a venue, in your favorite venue with big sound and you got your popcorn or your soft drink, whatever you have, it's cathartic and it's, it's, it, it makes you feel good. And it's something that you can't, you can't downplay how important it can be to people like us who've been doing it our whole lives. And to know that that experience is back and then to anticipate the next experience. I mean, I guess it could get addictive, but I think it's important. <laughs> You know, and I, it means it's it's almost like wellness, well-being. It's like, I, I don't know, if you like massages or something every week, I, I like going to the movies. And I've missed it. And I think it's been diminishing to my soul not to go to the movie theater. <laughs> well said. Well said. All right, next, BK Dan writes, hey, John, another movie's in 20, uh, Twins with Danny DeVito. That's not a bad one either. That's uh, By the way, I know it was supposed to come out on Friday. We had some things come up that we weren't able to, but today... We are releasing today. It's all ready to go. Our newest installment of Movies in 20 for Gladiator uh, is being released today. Keep your eyes on the YouTube channel. We'll be putting that up on the channel a little bit later today. So keep your guys' eyes open for that. So thanks for the recommendation on that, BK. Okay, next up, uh, MD writes, Hey, John, hope you're feeling better. I am feeling better. I'm not 100% recovered yet, but I am feeling better. Thank you. Uh, I had a pulmonary embolism about a year ago. The clot had already got to my lung and ended up in A&E. I don't know what A&E is other than, you know, the arts and entertainment network another day and it would have been disastrous glad you listened to your body everybody please do not ignore your body excellent message md guy again guys the thing is if something doesn't feel right get it looked at you're not doing yourselves any favors by just trying to t- i mean yeah if you if if you if you bang your shoulder and you know oh i hurt my shoulder yeah yeah but if something feels off get it looked at because maybe it's nothing. Hopefully it's nothing. It might be something more serious that can be taken care of. So uh, excellent message, MD. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Chris West writes, Hello, John and crew. I hope all is well. All is well, thank you. So Warner Brothers has canceled James Wan's The Trench and Ava DuVernay's New Gods. What does this mean for their future uh, DC movie lineup? Thanks for making our days better. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Chris. Rob, I think... Really, ultimately, it doesn't mean anything for the other movies. I I think what it does is it just kind of makes a statement that these these projects don't fit in with what we're doing. And, Rob, you know, ever since you and I talked about New Gods, I was always very skeptical that that movie was ever going to get made. I I was just, I just doesn't feel like one they're going to do. And they didn't. The Trench, all the faith in the world in James Wan, but I never understood what the purpose of The Trench was anyway. So they want to focus more on their strengths. I understand the move. I'm actually totally okay that they canceled both of them. I thought it was interesting that they said of both of them, hey, look, folks, remember, Warner Brothers said this in their statement. This has nothing to do with James Wan or Ava DuVernay. If we ever do decide to make these movies, Ava DuVernay and James Wan are the ones who are making it. But it just doesn't fit into our plans right now. We're moving on. So I think if anything, Rob, I think it just bodes well for what is on their schedule because they just wanted to keep the focus on those other movies. How do you interpret it? I would I would say quite you're probably quite dead on. I mean, first of all, the trench. Look, those creatures are cool in Aquaman. I like them. But how do you how do you make a whole movie around them like another ship falls prey to these creatures. I see that maybe it was probably a difficult development uh, decision because, but I don't think they, if they had a great script and a great concept, it would have got made. And with new gods, 
New Gods is a giant sprawling mythology that, let's face it, they dealt with in the Snyder Cut. You know, you you Dark Side, Steppenwolf, Granny Goodness, Desaad, all of those characters are part of the New Gods characters. And then you've got the good guys, the flip side. You've got Orion and High Father and all that. And I just think that it's a whole mythology unto itself that might not, like you said, it just doesn't fit with their plans. And I think they probably didn't like the take or they didn't see that it – they want to keep it more real with the characters everybody knows. Um, that's kind of how I think it might have gone down. And they're like, look, we've we've got Aquaman 2 and Wonder Woman and we got uh, Black Adam and Shazam. We have things coming down the pike we know are going to work. Why not? Let's, let's not take this risk right now. I agree. Uh, by the way, Alex's, uh, Alex's Movie Corner sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate that, man. All right. Let's keep moving here. Next up, we got Glenn Tracy who says, I'll try not to spoil. I am so glad that Godzilla versus Kong has the balls to show an out-and-out out winner between them. Uh, they were very smart to put over both extremely well and allow the other to be the hero. Um, if, you, if you're if you a fan of either, you will be happy. You know what? Again, I don't want to go into spoiler territory either. But they didn't have as definitive an ending not not so much a definitive. They didn't have so much of a definitive thing, like declaration of who wins, as I thought they would. Like Batman versus Superman, that was pretty definitive. Like like Batman ultimately chooses to spare Superman. They kind of, without going into spoilers, they kind of break down Godzilla versus Kong into rounds. You know, you even have a character. Well, round two goes to so and so, right? They 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 had that, but. And, and guys, you know what? I'm going to give up. I'm going to say something that's a minor spoiler. So if you haven't seen Godzilla versus Kong yet, mute until I put my hand down. I'm going to have my hand up while you should put it on mute. When I put my hand down, you can take it off mute. Okay. And by the way, Suthius sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks. Okay. So here I go. It almost felt like they punted a bit at the end because Kong with Mjolnir is formidable and it's like the end of the movie has after they take care of mecha godzilla they square off again and they look at each other and it's like okay here we go round four and kong is because godzilla is more instinctual it's like okay kong is now a threat he's got he's holding me near he's a big threat so kong is just like you know f this and he just he puts me near down and they're like Okay, we're good. We're good. All right. Then they go their separate ways. It's like we could have had a round four and they decided not to give us a round four. And they just kind of punted. But whatever. Um, they balanced it out great, Rob, because in the three round fight, Godzilla takes it two to one. But then so they give him that. But at the end, the hero was Kong taking out Mecha Godzilla with an assist from Godzilla. I mean, they really did balance it out. I thought they could have made it a little bit more definitive, but I I was still very... Dude, when you got King Kong running around with his own Mjolnir or Stormbreaker, whichever one you want to call it, and he just starts tearing the shit out of Mecha Godzilla, and then even before he starts doing it, Godzilla looks up and he's on the ground. He's like, lets out the nuclear fire. I don't know how we knew how to hit the nuclear fire to Stormbreaker. And now it's all charged up and 
Kong starts doing his shit. And like, and then even just the two of them, by the way, my hand's still up. My hand's still up. The two of them like facing each other at the end. By the way, how awesome is Godzilla's snarl face? Like, I, seriously, I don't know being for how awesome is Godzilla's just snarl face. It's pretty awesome. And I'm just freaking out in the theater. But yeah, I kind of thought they punted at the end a little bit, but I was okay with it. I'm totally okay with it. Rob, what did you think about the the end of that? I, I yeah, look, I think Godzilla got he was a jobber in this movie. But he won and two I, rounds to three. I mean, I two know, rounds, two out of the I, he he literally won by the judge's scorecards, two rounds to one. How do you say he's a jobber? You won. He he and I look. You can't win and call him a jobber. I I just wanted more of Godzilla. I wanted I, mm. as much as I enjoyed the fights. I I think that uh, I wanted more. I wanted more of a Rocky esque fight where we could have gone a little bit longer, a little bit more suspense, a little bit more pathos, a little bit more emotion. But the fights. I mean, look that some of those things were spectacular oh. and I, I did love the Stormbreaker scene. I mean, we'd seen it in the trailers, but it was still great. See Kong sitting. How great was to see Kong sit down on that giant throne too. It's like, it's like, yeah, no, great. that was cool. I, I'll tell you what I really liked. I did like Kong saving Godzilla from Mecha Godzilla. You know, I mean, that scene actually, that was the one time in the movie. I'm like, I felt, I felt Godzilla was truly imperiled in that scene. And I'm like, go save him. Go save Godzilla for me now. You know, and Kong Kong came through. It was great. Okay. Hands going down now. Hands going down. Hand is down. Okay. We're ready to go. Let's uh, let's keep on rolling here. We got time for one more with Rob still here. Uh, And we're going to take this one from Ethan Holgate who writes, Hey, John. I watched Chaos Walking, and I have to say it was a fun, entertaining time. It does have flaws and a few missed opportunities, but for a film that went through a lot of production problems, I have to say it turned out pretty good. You know what, Rob? I'm hearing, I, full disclosure, I haven't seen Chaos Walking. I, I, need, but I, I will. I haven't seen it I, I will, but, you know, the the years of troubles and the years of hearing the studio said it was just plain out unwatchable uh, and then all the reshoots how long it took them to do it i lost all of my adrenaline uh, from of wanting to watch it and i just never gotten around to watch it but rob i gotta say ethan who's writing in that he says it's actually not that bad he's just the latest i've heard from a several people who actually said you know what it's not that bad i'm not hearing anybody saying it's great right but we were hearing that it was just a flat out unwatchable film prior to all the reshoots. And so maybe not half bad is a big win. Have you been hearing anything about the, uh, the the iteration of it? I've heard some people say they enjoyed it, you know, and it is an interesting science fiction premise and I will watch it when it shows up on streaming. I mean, you know, it's, I don't like to hear when any, film that's plagued with production issues turns out badly especially when it's a genre film and i like doug lyman you know he's been a little hit and miss in the sci-fi genre i but, like lyman too uh you know edge of tomorrow live die repeat whatever it's gonna be called but uh all you need is kill i really like that so i'll watch what he's done i mean he does interesting things with the camera uh, there's some interesting effects work i'll check it out 
All right, guys, well, we've kept Robert Meyer Burnett longer than normal, as we usually do. But, Rob, thanks so much. Congratulations. For those of you who don't know, Rob's got a film out, Tango Shalom, that's been doing some great stuff on the film circuit, uh, the film festival circuit, and some exciting things of that may be coming as well. He's got this new show that he helped work on in Dota that's now on Netflix. I believe it hit number seven trending worldwide on Netflix. Uh, Rob, yep. you got some exciting things going on. Where can people follow you and your goodness online? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Follow me on Instagram, Robert Meyer Burnett, or follow me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Have a good one, man. All right, man. I'll see you later. All right, guys. The one and the only, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. And now let's keep on going with your questions, shall we? We're going to keep on rolling right now with Wakandan Forever, who writes, I want the truth. No more lies. The truth. Winter Soldier, are you a hero or a villain? I can't even tell anymore. Zemo, Bucky killing uh, killing King T'Chaka, and now jail breaks. Wakanda never forgets. We have our eyes on you, fellas. P.S. 3 for 3. Stay safe. Uh, it's a hit. Um, we're going to talk more later today at 4.30 in our open spoiler discussion about Falcon and Winter Soldier. That ending of Episode 3 with the character who pops up, that was a great ending. I love, and it makes total narrative sense that that character shows up. I'm very excited to see where that goes. But yeah, Bucky remains in the gray. I mean, you saw him in the bar scene again. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, a little bit later. But yeah, a lot of interesting stuff going on with Bucky here, Wakanda for sure. All right, next up, Wakanda also writes, "I told you, Wakanda never forgets." My girl from Dora Milaje. We're coming for you again. I don't want to go into details. We'll talk about it in the spoiler discussion later. We'll talk about it in the spoiler discussion later, but. Uh, they did some very, very interesting things, even though they did a couple things that drove me crazy that really bothered me this episode. We'll talk about that a little bit later today, too. All right. Comic, uh, real comic fan rights. But John, everybody who reads the comics knows that Godzilla doesn't kill. This movie is bullshit. Obviously, real comics having a little bit of fun there, being a little bit facetious about the whole Batman and Superman controversies. About how dare they have Superman kill somebody. You guys know my feelings on that. Anyway, real comic fan, have a little bit of fun with that. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. All right, Simon Wright. That was funny. All right, Simon writes, Warner Brothers canceled New Gods, The Trench, Snyderverse, Henry Cavill. I wonder what's the next DC movie to be pitched, then canceled. Uh, why do I never hear about a number of MCU or Star Wars projects getting canceled? I uh, wonder why the DC fans haven't WB. I don't know what that means. Anyway, shameful. Well, I mean, look, they did not cancel Henry Cavill. How many movies did they do with Henry Cavill? They did like Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, Justice League. I mean, it's not they they did several films with Henry Cavill as Superman. They certainly did more films with Henry Cavill as Superman than they did with Brandon Routh as Superman. And of course, Henry Cavill is my all time favorite Superman. Uh, New Gods was one that, again, I always doubted that movie was ever going to get made. I, I just never felt it fit into what they were trying to do. And the trench as well. I, 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 I always questioned whether they needed to do a trench movie. It doesn't just didn't feel necessary. Didn't feel necessary. So there was that. You are right though. We don't often hear the only one I can think about and guys in the live chat, let me know if you can think of something else. Let me know this. I can't recall the last full-blown MCU project that just straight up got canceled other than the Eternals movie that they were going to do. Uh, 
that's the last I can remember. Some of you may even forgot about that, that they had planned to do an Eternals movie and then Kevin Feige pulled the plug on that and they never did it. Can you guys, I, I said Eternals, I meant Inhumans. Sorry, I meant the Inhumans, uh, not Eternals. Uh, obviously, Eternals is still happening. Uh, but the last one I remember is the Inhumans movie that they were going to do Inhumans and they pulled the plug. Do you guys remember any other besides that? A bunch of you guys are also saying Inhumans. Um. Yeah, so I, I can't remember one other than that. But you also got to remember, I think this is a symptom of what had been a very long-standing problem. Whereas Marvel, MCU has had one guy in charge. One guy in charge who's been overseeing everything. And it has been much more stable. Much more stable. Whereas over at Warner Brothers, with their DC properties, they had so many shakeups in their leadership. Like, you remember four, five, six years ago, they were constantly, it felt like every other week they were talking about a new shakeup in the DC leadership within WB, and now this guy's overseeing this, and now this guy's overseeing that, and blah, 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 blah. And tons of things got announced, and tons of things got canceled, and blah, blah, blah. So ever since we got into the Walter Hamada era, it just feels like things have been much more stable and they've been having more success. Aquaman became a billion-dollar film. Joker became a billion-dollar film. Uh, Shazam, not a billion-dollar film, but wildly popular with critics and audiences, and I love that. It was my second favorite DCU movie besides Zack Snyder's Man of Steel, which I think is still the best DCU movie there is. Um, and it feels like they are a lot more stable notwithstanding this recent new gods in the trench thing. But again, I never, I never really thought these movies were going to get made anyway, but I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see in the next five years, a much more stable, uh, there will still be some things that get canceled. Some directors that leave, it'll still happen. That's normal movie business. But I honestly think in the next five years, we are going to see a much more stabilized DC division at Warner Brothers than we have in the previous five to 10 years. I think we're going to see it much more, a much more consistency. And I think things are, I guess I can take the headphones off now. <laughs> Look at the hair thing it creates having the headphones on. Um, well, I think we're going to see a much more consistent DCEU now than we have in the last number of years. But, uh, but yeah, that, that is what it is. All right. Next up, James Lockman writes one of two. Uh, hey, you fine pasty white skin. I'm, I am very pasty. Look at, seriously, look, it's almost like a glare. The whiteness, the pure pasty whiteness of my skin. You almost have to put on sunglasses to look at it. Uh, hey, you pasty, uh, white skin, good looking Italian man. Uh, glad to hear you're doing good. Who knows what would have happened if you waited uh, longer to go to the hospital? You know, it sounds to me like you need a vacation. I'm not going to lie. I do need a vacation. Uh, you said Anne's been trying to come here to Hawaii, uh, maybe bring everybody, Rob, Aaron, Ray, and Kimberly. You know, no, the idea of a vacation is to get away from work. Don't bring your work with you. If you're going on vacation, anyway, bring Rob, Aaron, Ray, and Kimberly. Oh, and do the John Campia show from Honolulu. That would be great. Um, all kidding aside, sending some aloha your way and glad to see you're doing better. Well, thank you so much for that, James. I appreciate that. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a tick since me and Ann took a legitimate vacation. Um, I mean, basically, usually my vacation time is spent going to see my family, who I never get to see. And that's been a year and a half, almost two years now since I've seen my family. Um, so, yeah, 
Uh, I, I could use a little bit of a vacation. Not going to lie. I could probably, and I've never been to Hawaii. Never been to Hawaii. After seeing Forgetting Sarah Marshall, I've, and I've never been interested in going to Hawaii until I saw Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And ever since I saw Forgetting Sarah Marshall, I've been interested in going to Hawaii. So we'll see how that all plays out. All right. Maybe someday soon, James. Maybe someday soon. All right. Uh, James Lockman also writes, one of two. Hey, John, I was a little surprised to hear you say the other day that you really want a PS5 only because you said a number of times in the past that you were contemplating on selling your PS4. This is true. I'm a big PS fan and I look forward to the upcoming God of War Ragnarok, uh, Gran Turismo and the action RPG Harry Potter Hogwarts Legacy games. Are there any PS5 games that piqued your interest? I'll tell you what you named two of them. Um, I am not a console game player. Most games, like I have, you know, Xbox Game Pass, but I play that on my PC. Uh, I don't know why. I've really been into playing, um, uh, what what's the name of the damn game? Um, realistic bat- Battle Simulator. Totally Realistic Battle Simulator. Anyway, I've been really into playing that. Um, totally Accurate Battle Simulator. Totally Accurate Battle Simulator. Uh, and pl- playing some stuff on that, but I'm mostly a PC. When I do some gaming, I usually play on PC. What console gaming I do, and I have a PS4 Pro, what console gaming I do play is usually the Nintendo Switch, to be honest with you. Like, whether it's... Um, I, I Ann and I still love playing Mario Kart. We play a lot of Mario Party. Ann is constantly playing Animal Crossing. Uh, Hades, I love Hades. Hades is a lot of fun. Uh, so I've been playing a lot of that. But games like the new God of War... And particularly that new Harry Potter game they introduced that's going to be coming. Those are ones that Ann and I looked at and were like, oh yeah, we want, we want, we want in on those games. So that's the ones to me that really made me go, I think I really want to get a, uh, I think I want to get, um, Somebody saying in the live chat, bring back the Animal Crossing live streams. I actually did a little bit of live streaming Animal Crossing. I actually did. Who knows? It might be time for me. By the way, when I did live streaming of Animal Crossing, it was just me doing grunt work for Anne on Anne's Island. Like I was just doing Anne stuff. Maybe I should start a whole brand new island of my own and do some Animal Crossing live streaming. Anyway, um, but yes, those are the ones that made me want to get a PS5, and I'm hoping uh, I'll be able to get one pretty soon. Even though those games, I'm in no big rush because those games don't come out anytime soon, but uh, I am interested in getting it. All right, next up. We've got Hot Rod Todd writes, no wonder the Snyderverse fans are review bombing Godzilla versus Kong. The movie completely put the urban renewal performed by Soups and Sod in Man of Steel to shame with what they did to Hong Kong. So glad to be back in theaters. Uh, Haven't uh, been since Sonic. I know, right? Seriously, listen, all film is subjective. Right. We all like and dislike different movies for different reasons because we're all unique individuals. So movies hit us all in different ways. But the one complaint about Man of Steel that always drove me nuts is, well, why did Superman allow so much damage? And Superman should have taken. Shut up. Superman saved six billion lives. And guess what? He had been Superman for all of two days. And was a farm boy against an army of Kryptonians, particularly General Zod, who has been bred since birth to be a military strategist and combat warrior and a general. 
that fight was going to take place wherever Zod decided the fight was going to take place. And it would drive me nuts. Well, Superman let a lot of the, the buildings get wrecked. He saved six billion lives. He was doing whatever he could do to try to stop Zod from wiping out the human race. And we sit there like a bunch of whiny wusses going, yeah, but he let some buildings get wrecked. Boo, fucking who? It, I hate that argument. I hate that argument. It's so stupid. It is such a stupid thing to say. Now, that is not to say that you need to like Man of Steel. A lot of people don't like Man of Steel. It's my favorite DCU movie, but I respect that. You don't like it, you don't like it. But that particular argument is asinine. It's a completely stupid, idiotic argument, and I hate that one. Like, if, if look, if you don't know how to articulate why Man of Steel didn't work for you, that's perfectly fine. But just don't pull out this bullshit. Well, well he should have uh, he should have made uh, General Zod fight him in the desert. That wasn't up to him. Anyway, sorry. I get very passionate about Man of Steel. I don't know if you noticed that. I get very passionate about Man of Steel. Anyway, that's just me. Uh, all right, next up. Fully vaxxed writes. Um, congrats on getting vaccinated. Which one did you get? Uh, I got the Pfizer. Uh, uh, I got the Pfizer variant of it. Another question. For some reason, Eddie Redmayne doesn't do it for me. I see his talent, but he's just not my cup of tea. Is there a talented actor or director that for some reason just doesn't do it for you? And yet, listen, uh, actors' performances are as individual and subjective as the movies themselves. I'm sure there are great actors that a lot of people love that don't work for you. I'm sure they're for all of us, right? That's just the way it is. For me, one of those filmmakers is uh, Tim Burton. I, Tim Burton's style just doesn't work for me. And I know a lot of my friends absolutely love Tim Burton, and that's great. And, and by the way, he has made some movies that I really do like. But for, for the most part, Tim Burton's style just doesn't work for me. And I'm sure we all have different actors or filmmakers that that's to it. Because again, Fully Vax, it's it's very, as subjective as how much we like or don't like the movies themselves. Anyway, uh, next up, The Wakandan Forever writes, John, I'm glad you're okay. Stop posting hospital pictures. Uh, you make me nervous. Okay. Uh, Kong gave a good fight. Respect. Uh, when it's due Godzilla, uh, again, we're not going to go into spoiler stuff for, for, I know for those of you watching the video too late, but for those listening to the podcast version, not there yet, we, we, we're not into discussing open spoiler spoilers yet. And I couldn't give a spoiler warning there. So anyway, uh, Stephanie KM, uh, sends in like a $20 super chat. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Appreciate that very, very much for that support. Anyway, Stephanie writes. Hey, John and crew, longtime listener, first time tipper. I went to see Godzilla versus Kong on Wednesday at an AMC theater here in Miami. And man, was it great to be there. It was more packed than I had expected, but to amazing, but so amazing to watch with a crowd. Just amazing. You know, Stephanie, you just completely articulated one of the many things that I much prefer watching a movie in a theater. The way movies are meant to be watched is because the magic of the movies I mean, it's better watching it on the big screen and it's, it's a, just a better experience, but the magic I believe of the movies comes when you're in a theater with 50, a hundred, 200 other people and you share those moments and you cheer together or gasp together or laugh together or what, whatever it is. There's just a different experience. And I remember being in the theater watching Godzilla versus Kong 
And like when cert- certain something would happen and like there's 200 other people. Well, we didn't, it was limited capacity, but when about, you know, 75 other people in the theater, like, woo, I mean, it just adds to that atmosphere. It just adds to that atmosphere. And I had such a good time with it. You know, it's, it, to me, it's the difference between, you know, popping in a CD and listening to a CD. Wait, what the fuck is a CD? Whatever. Putting on, you know, YouTube music or Spotify, or whatever, and listening to a song in your living room or going to an arena to see that band live and in concert. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Pull a song out of my mouth. You, you, you could, you know, pop on, you know, on your Bluetooth speaker, you can pop, pop on uh, I Would Walk 500 Miles. Yeah, you can listen to I Would Walk 500 Miles and I Would. Yeah, you, it's a good song, by the way. It's a good song. Proclaimers, ladies and gentlemen. That's cool. But it's nowhere near as fun of an experience as going to the arena or to the, to the nightclub venue or whatever, where the proclaimers are playing live and you're with a crowd and an audience and we're all participating in it together and enjoying it. It's a night and day difference. It's just not the same. It's like, yeah, you can listen to, I can't get no satisfaction on your speaker at home. Yeah. You can listen to the song. It's the same song, but if you could be at a venue and actually see the Rolling Stones performing it with a crowd of people all yelling together, I can't get no. I mean, that's a different experience. It's a different experience. And it's the crowd. It's being with people that makes it magic. Yeah, I can watch a football game on TV. That's great. I love it. I I love watching football on TV, but man, if you can be in Buffalo in the winter, in the frozen tundra of Buffalo, John, that's Green Bay. I don't care. The frozen tundra of Buffalo and you're with 60,000 other people. And when the pass is completed and everybody's like, the crowd is cheering together. It's that's the magic. That's the magic. To me, it's 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 the being with other people as well. The, the screen size, great. The, the sound, especially if it's Dolby Atmos, is great. Those are all big things as well. But the magic comes from experiencing it with other people. And that, to me, is uh, just one of the big things. It's, it's the difference between going to watching a football game on TV or watching it there in the stadium. Between listening to a song played on... Uh, uh, on your speakers versus being there in the venue and experiencing it with a thousand other people. It that anyway, that's that's just me. That's just me. Okay. Next up. Thanks for that, Stephanie. Uh, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, uh, "Hey John, hope you're feeling better. I am, I'm not 100, percent but I am on my way. So thank you so much for asking. I just started reading The Gray Man. That's the one that Russo Brothers just announced they're going to be doing a movie of that. It's being adapted by the Russo Brothers for Netflix. It sounds awesome. Think Winter Soldier elevator fight, but taking place in an airplane during a free fall. I've never read Gray Man, but I heard that. I will say this though: I very much want to see a, a win from the Russo Brothers because I love the Russo Brothers. They're great. Um, they couldn't be two nicer guys. I've had them come into my studio on a couple of different occasions. I've had a chance to go places and interview them and talk to them at different places. They are two great guys. And you just, if you meet them, you cannot help but cheer for them. But being honest, I have not been a fan of any of their work since Endgame. Um, 
They put out that one with Chadwick Boseman. I think it was called 21 Bridges. Awful. Now, they didn't direct it, but it was their production. It was their Agbo production company. They were in charge of that movie. And that I thought the movie was terrible. Then there was Extraction. Now, I'm in the minority on this, but Extraction that they did with Chris Hemsworth, terrific action, but I thought the movie was drivel. I thought it was absolute drivel. Not the worst movie I've ever seen, not, not at all. And it does have some terrific action, including that car chase scene, man. That was great. But overall, I was I thought that movie was very wanting. And then they put out Cherry, and a lot of people were very excited about Cherry. Now, I'll I'll be honest, um, I haven't watched Cherry yet because everybody I personally know that watched Cherry was like, it's not very good. So I don't know, maybe if I watch it, I'll think it's terrific. But I just got too disheartened when I heard that Cherry wasn't very good and I just couldn't bring myself to watch it. Maybe I should still at some point. But I really want a big win for the Russo brothers. They deserve it. Um, They certainly have magic. When they, when they, those two guys and Kevin Feige work together, they can create some incredible magic. But I'm wondering, and I say this as somebody who loves these guys, I am wondering for them to really make that magic if they absolutely have to have Kevin Feige as a part of that formula. I, I, again, I'm not making any proclamations. I'm cheering for these guys. I want to see them do well. I'm just saying so far, um, I have not seen them deliver a big win without working with Kevin Feige and I want to see them succeed. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for gray man. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for that. All right. Thanks for that anonymous. Next up, Ryan Loner writes, anyone else think it would be hilarious if King shark is just not quite awake yet during the hand scene. And for the rest of the show, he's like the Harley Quinn show. For those of you who don't know, the animated Harley Quinn show, which by the way, you need to watch. It is so funny. But there, I think, what was the, Bunches? Is that the name of the, the comedian who does the voice of King Shark? Is it Bunches? Guys in the live chat, help me out with that. I, I think the guy who does the voice of King Shark is Bunches. Oh my gosh, it's Beyonce! I, I love, love King Shark in that. But, Obviously, the King Shark, Funches, Funch, I said Bunches, didn't I? Ron Funches, thank you guys in the live chat. Appreciate that. Jay and Marcus Y, thank you. And Stan, thank you for that correction. Funches, fun, I kept saying Bunches for some reason. Anyway, um, I don't think they'll try to bring that, that King Shark into the live action movie. And I got to tell you, the way they were portraying King Shark in the trailer kind of worked for me already. So we'll see how that goes. All right, next up. Uh, Sammy P writes, man one run. It's Godzilla man two. It looks like Godzilla, but due to international copyright laws, it's not man one still. We should run like, like it is Godzilla man two thought though. It isn't both scream and run away. By the way, can we just talk for us for a second about, look, we all knew that Mecha Godzilla was coming in the movie. They, they showed him in that quick clip in the original trailer. Uh, when he's walking over the people running down into the subway system. So we knew he was coming. I thought, no spoilers, I thought the way they did Mechagodzilla was really good. Now, there were elements about the background of Mechagodzilla that were totally ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Like how Mechagodzilla came to be and how Mechagodzilla operates, total garbage. But 
actual Mecha Godzilla out on the battlefield fighting King Kong and fighting Godzilla, I thought was pretty awesome. I thought it was pretty awesome. But uh, anyway, uh, there's that. All right. Thanks for that, Sammy. Next up, J Meister 25 writes, can we now officially refer to Warner Brothers as the bastard child of Hollywood? I'm so sick of their garbage and stupid decisions. Well, I, I don't know if you're referring to the cancellation of, of new gods and the trench. I'll be in the minority. I don't think those were bad decisions to cancel those. I never thought either of those properties fit into what they were doing, and I don't think either one of them would have been successful. I, I could be wrong. We'll never know. But I, I actually think it was a wise decision to pull those projects off their schedules. I do. Now, you guys know I'm also highly dubious of a number of other decisions that Warner Brothers has been making, especially over the last year. That being said... If we're talking specifically about the new gods and uh, Trench, I actually think that was a pretty good decision. And I say that as somebody who's been very critical, particularly of, of how they've approached HBO Max and their movies. This year. You guys know I've been very critical of that. But I don't think this was a bad decision. I actually think it was a pretty good decision. I think it was the right decision to make, and I think they will benefit from it moving forward. But I guess we'll never know for sure. All right, thanks for sending that in, Jay Meister. Uh, Michael Getz writes... Do you think it is plausible for DC to continue the Snyderverse through animation? This this has been coming up a lot. Uh, what are your thoughts on potentially making animated movies based off of canceled projects? I think it's a waste of time. Uh, like a Justice League Mortal or any other canceled project. There are a couple of things with that. And somebody have asked that before. I think the biggest roadblock, if anything else, is I think Zack Snyder would actually have zero interest in doing that. Listen. Zack Snyder has got some good things going right now, especially with this Netflix deal he's got where he's got Army of the Dead coming, and I think that's going to be great. Then he's also got like some anime stuff connected to that that's going to revolve around the live action movie. They'll probably do a sequel to it if it's successful, and I think it will be. I, why on earth would Zack Snyder, after all the drama, after all the everything, why would he want to go back for just a direct-to-home video animated thing? What would be Zack Snyder's incentive there when he can go do new things that are going to be live action on the big screen and get lots of money for the stuff that's going to go on Netflix? I just don't see how you can entice or what motivation there would be for a Zack Snyder to want to go back to that. I mean, Hey, I, I haven't talked to Zack Snyder. Maybe if you talk to him, he'd say, yeah, I'm totally interested in that. And maybe he would be, but I just don't see what the motivation would be. And if Zack Snyder's not involved in doing that, then what would be the point of even doing some straight direct to home video, which by the way, I think all of, not all of, but most of Marvel and DC straight to home video animation is complete shit anyway. So I mean, yeah, I just, again, I think the biggest roadblock to that, and there are other roadblocks, but I think the biggest roadblock to that would be Snyder himself. Why would he, why would he be interested in that? You know, after all the crap and all the drama and all the circus, really go back there to do straight to home video animation. What's, what's the incentive? What's the incentive? So I, I mean, look, anything can happen. It totally could happen. I, I just don't see it being very viable. I don't see it being very, I think it's done. I think it's dead. Again, we live in a world where Jamie Foxx is coming back to play Electro, so anything is possible. All right, guys, next up, uh, we've got uh, B. 
W. Rosa 89, or 98 writes, Hey, John, so today, uh, April 2nd, I saw that Disney Plus was now on Xfinity, finally. My questions are, do you think that uh, we will in- this will increase subscription numbers for them? And why didn't Disney go with the same deal HBO Max made where it's part of your Xfinity subscription? We'll never know, BW. We'll never know. I am not an Xfinity subscriber, so I have... I don't even have Xfinity where I live. So I, I have no, um, I have no understanding, no experience with no background knowledge on Xfinity whatsoever. So I, I have no idea. Also, every single contract is different and unique. So why didn't they just make the same deal HBO max made? Maybe the same deal wouldn't have been good for Disney plus, uh, maybe H maybe Xfinity didn't think they were worth the same deal. I mean, there's so many different variables and I am so uninformed on this issue of Xfinity and that deal that me offering any kind of an opinion would just be passing gas. I mean, it literally would just be pulling something out of my ass that I don't actually have any understanding of. So, um, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea if any of you guys uh, know more about the Xfinity situation. I jump down to the comments and let BW Rosa know what you guys think of that. But for myself, I honestly have no experience in that. But I think if you check the comment section, some other people might have some better ideas. All right. Jaron Morris writes, since their first fight was so bad and lackluster, I'll definitely be down for a rematch between Derek Lewis, Black Beast, and Francis Naganu. Uh, they both came a long way, worked on their takedowns and takedown defense thoughts. Oh, I'm told. Listen, Derek Lewis beat Francis Naganu. Like everybody's saying, John Jones should get it. Why? Why the hell should John Jones get a heavyweight title shot? He hasn't fought a single heavyweight. I am really hardcore of the belief that John Jones, who is now going up to heavyweight, should not get a title shot until he beats a top five ranked heavyweight. Earn a title shot. And he hasn't earned it. Derek Lewis has beat Francis Naganu. He, he totally deserves a title shot. I, I honestly think it'll go much different than last time. I think France, Francis will, because remember, he fought Derek Lewis coming off of a loss. He, he fought, Naganu had just lost to Stipe Miocic. He came out, he was trigger shy, he was apprehensive, and he lost to a very, very, very good and dangerous fighter. I think it'll go differently this time. But I honestly, I think, I think Derek Lewis is the one who deserves the title shot. That's me. All right, we're going to get things picked up here with Sammy P who writes, Guiltiest of the guilty list, Surf Ninjas, Super Mario Brothers, Ninja Assassin, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, The Rundown. I actually really like The Rundown. Uh, Tarzan, The Animated, You Be In My Heart, with Phil Collins' soundtrack. I love that Tarzan movie. Uh, The Producers, I also love The Producers. Clue, The Hobbit Trilogy, Van Helsing 2004. That's a guilty pleasure film. I I mean, I hate it. So if you're going to like it, that's a guilty pleasure film. I Man, too bad, man. Like you had Kate Beckinsale. And you had Hugh Jackman. I mean, it should have been great, right? But yeah, Van Helsing was so bad. Uh, anyway, and I like the Hobbit trilogy. I mean, nowhere near as good as Lord of the Rings, but I like the Hobbit trilogy. All right, Ben Rayner writes, Hey, John, hope you're doing well. I am doing well, thank you. I'm looking to upgrade my camera for doing YouTube streaming. I've been uh, streaming close to a year and having fun doing it. I'm looking at Sony Alpha 6000. Is this a good one? Looks pretty good. Would you use this? Yes, as a matter of fact, I use Sony Alpha cameras. 
Uh, all of the cameras in my studio are the Sony A6400s. Now, the Sony A6000, I believe, has the same sensor that's very, very similar to the A6400. Uh, what I would recommend is get a get a good prime lens. I mean, the kit lens it comes with is great. Uh, if you get one with a kit lens, I would su suggest a Sigma prime lens. You can get one for like under 300 bucks, get a good 30 millimeter Sigma prime lens for the Sony E mount cameras. And, uh, and you're go good to go. I love the look of these cameras. I love them. I think they look great. I've had these cameras for a couple of years now, and I have no, no plans to upgrade because I get as good of an image out of these as I think some of the four and $5,000 cameras get. So I love these cameras. And so, yes, I would, uh, I would wholeheartedly endorse your decision to get a, a six, a Sony a 6,000 series camera. Absolutely. And any one of them, like there's even like, I believe a 5,900 that you can get for really cheap, but whether it's the, uh, the 6,000, the 6,100, the 6,400, the 6,500, whatever, all those cameras are great. Just get a good Sigma lens for it for about 300 bucks and you're golden. All right, next up. Uh, Preston the Kryptonian writes, Hey, John, I noticed that Willow asked the question on Friday. What is the worst script you have seen? Yeah, we talked about that. Well, that made me think of the producers of Sharknado and how laughable that script must have looked. It's now a popular franchise. How did they do it? I think it's because unlike the script that got submitted to me, with the Umbrellas script, if you guys remember me talking about that last week, this was clearly a movie that was meant to be tongue-in-cheek, right? It was meant to be ridiculous. It was meant to be tongue-in-cheek. And obviously, I think they looked at that and thought, this could be fun for a lot of people, especially making it for so cheap. Now, they never anticipated it was going to become as big of a cult hit as it did, but they probably looked at that and said, yeah, we make this thing for a million dollars, we sell it to sci-fi for two or three million. We make money on it, blah, blah, blah. And it could work as a tongue-in-cheek kind of comedy thing. And I think that was the big difference. I think that's the big difference. All right, next up, we go to Sergeant Ward, who writes, John, I just watched Concrete Cowboy. Oh, that's the uh, Idris Elba movie. Um, and I couldn't recommend it enough to you. Um, it's one of Netflix's good ones, and it's criminally undermarketed. I rec recommend you drop everything right now and go watch it. You know, I haven't watched Concrete Cowboy. I mean, I was, I was really interested in it primarily because of Idris Elba, but I've actually heard not great things about it. Like, you're the first person, Sergeant, who I've heard, like, actually say to me that they really, really liked it. Um, again, I haven't seen it myself. Uh, I probably will go and check it. Once again, it's a Netflix one that they just dropped on Netflix, but I'm glad you really enjoyed it. I'll tell you what, I'll keep my eye open for it, Sergeant. Thank you for the recommendation. All right, next up. Uh, Capri Grant writes, Stephen Wolf should have tagged in Thor after his axe did nothing to Superman. Uh, odd question. But in your opinion, if the DCEU Superman and the MCU Thor were to go toe-to-toe -to -toe in the octagon, imagine the promo for that fight. Who takes Superman all day, every day? Unless he's fighting Batman, the answer to that should always be Superman. Now, again, it depends on who's writing that fight. If a Marvel writer is writing that fight, they're going to write it that Thor wins. If a DC writer is writing that fight, they're going to write it that Superman wins. For me, it's Superman is the guy. He's the guy. Period. Um, so yeah, in, in, in all other things being equal, Superman should easy. And I don't care about the, well, John, uh, I don't know if you understand this, but in the comic book, Superman has a definitive weakness to magic and Thor has, it, don't, I don't care. I don't care. First of all, this isn't the comic books. This is the movies. 
There's been nothing said in these movies that say Superman has a weakness to elven magic. Like there's nothing in there that says he has any weakness to magic whatsoever. Right? Just be clear about that. The comics are the comics, the movies are the movies. And even if that was the case, I don't care. Superman is still Superman. So uh, that does it. Superman wins that fight. Again, that's just my take on it. Everybody will have their own answers, but that's my take on it. All right, next up. Um, Tony Rodriguez writes, one of two. Okay, John. The movie cancellations is one, par for the course for DC announcing more than they're actually going to do. Two, Ava, in my opinion, botched the movie with wrinkle and time failing. Oh, no, no, that's completely not true. That's that's completely not true. Anyway, uh, they just didn't acknowledge it publicly. No, that's completely not true. Uh, two of two. Um, that being said, like you said, those are three uh, movies that were not necessarily and highly cancelable. But again, I don't think DC... I, I don't think DC still don't have their story writing together. Hence the easy killing of three movies. I feel bad for Rob with Eternals. Eternals isn't going anywhere. So I don't think, no, listen, Tony, let, let's be clear here. Um, Ava Duvernay, they canceled this because it just doesn't fit with what they're trying to do. Ava Duvernay, like when, whether you're looking at, uh, um, I keep forgetting the name of the Netflix series. Uh, remember our not remember our names hold a second i keep remember forgetting the thing of it but it got an awful lot of uh awards awards consideration awards buds and was huge and was fantastic when they see us not call us by our names when they see us selma she's great with wrinkle in time listen i'll be the first one to tell you wrinkle in time was not good it was not good I was at the damn world premiere for that, and I I left early. No, I waited till the till the credits started to roll. But normally, you hang out at these premieres. You get to hang out, maybe go to an after party. I really didn't like the movie, and I didn't want to be put in a weird position of bumping into somebody from the movie and having them ask me what I thought of it because it wasn't good. But you got to remember about Wrinkle in Time. It was really considered an unshootable story. Like at the time, people are like, "You can't possibly make." a wrinkle in time movie. That's, that's unshootable. And I thought Ava DuVernay probably did better than most filmmakers would have done trying to make that thing out of, out of that book. But if any of the problem was Ava DuVernay, which it was not, then Warner brothers wouldn't have gone out of the way to say, look, make no mistake. If we ever do decide to to move forward, if there's ever a time when it fits into our plans that we move forward with the new gods movie, Ava DuVernay is the one doing it. Like, have you ever heard a studio say that when they've canceled a project? I've never heard that said before. And they said the same thing about James Wan. It's like, hey, look, if we ever do decide to do a trench movie, and if that ever does fit into our plans, James Wan is the guy doing it. So they just made sure to go out of the way. So no, I don't believe that for a second. Um, Ava DuVernay's track record is just too good. It's just too riddled with Academy Award and, and Emmy nominations and blah, blah, blah. She's just too good. She's too good. She couldn't make something out of Wrinkle in Time, but I don't think any filmmaker really could have. And uh, I, I actually believe, you know, whenever you hear the studio put out a statement, you got to look at it at least a little bit suspiciously. But I honestly believe everything that Warner Brothers said about the cancellation of these two movies. I just don't think they were right for what they're doing. So I kind of agreed with it. Anyway, that's just me, man. All right. Next up. Uh, let's see. Uh, Tony Rodriguez writes. Oh, one more thing. I love Thundercats. 
Uh, but I believe we will not see this movie live or animated. We still haven't seen both uh, He-Man iterations. He was promised and news is non-existent. Uh, hell, let's just announce a Silverhawks movie that we will never get. You know what? I Thundercats, He-Man, Master of the Universe, all that kind of stuff has been very, very slow coming. But listen, when you come out and you say, look, we've also got our, we got our screenwriter now and we've got our director attached and you make a big deal out of it, I really do think this movie is coming. Now, again, I'm a little disappointed because I wanted a Thundercats live-action movie. I'm not against animation. You know I love animation, but I wanted Thundercats live-action. We've seen lots of Thundercats in animation before. I want to see live-action Thundercats, and apparently that's not what Adam Adam Wingard, who directed Godzilla vs. Kong, now he's doing the Thundercats thing, uh, it's not the direction they're going. Now, listen, we're not getting it anytime soon because Adam Wingard's next project is that face-off remake. So he's got to do the face-off remake. Then he'll get around to Thundercats. So I believe we are going to see it, Tony. I do. I mean, you never know. You never know. But I do believe we're going to see it. We'll find out for sure. All right. Uh, next up, uh, the Wakanda Forever writes, my entire life, uh, I have been a Ninja Turtles fan. I was Michelangelo for my birthday. It's evolved as a toddler. It was Mikey, video game phase, Donnie, teenage Ralph, adult Leo. Any characters do that for you? P.S. I don't know uh, why I never dated in junior <laughs> Well, um, I'll be honest with you, Wakanan. I do not care for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now, that movie, they, that live-action movie they put out a couple of years ago, the first one Michael Bay produced of all people, I really like that movie. Not its sequel. They did the sequel Stephen Amell, which unfortunately was not very good, even though they had Stephen in it. Uh, the sequel was not all that good. But that first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie a couple of years ago, I actually thought was really fun, and I enjoyed it. But other than that, to me... The entire existence of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is nothing but a bastardization, a poor man's bastardization of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in their black and white comic book days. Like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, their origins, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics was adult and dark and violent and it was awesome. The original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff was awesome. Everything else since then is a poor man's bastardization, in my opinion. But John, cowabunga, dude. I don't give a shit. You keep your pizza-eating cowabunga nonsense. You know, as much as I, as, as much as anybody appreciate the old vanilla ice, go ninja, go ninja, go. go ni sure, okay, I can appreciate the fun of that, sure. But, I, I and I know this makes me the unpopular guy in the room, I totally understand it makes me the unpopular guy in the room, but I don't care. The whole Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing can go to hell. Give me that original black and white comic version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Make that movie. That would get me interested. And I say this to somebody, I, I acknowledge that that first Michael Bay one was actually really fun and, and I did enjoy it, but yeah. Not a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because they totally changed it from its from its origin. Anyway, but that's just me. I know that makes me the unpopular one in the room. I get it. I get it. It's the unpopular take. I get it. But I'm just being honest with you. Just being honest. All right, next up. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Raj writes, one of two. Hey, John. 
Uh, regarding WB cancellation of New Gods movie, I think this is linked to Snyderverse fiasco. I really don't think it is. Uh, Justice League Snyder Cut ended on a premise of Darkseid being the next big enemy of Justice League. Now, no New Gods movie being possible without Darkseid as he is also the big bad. I really don't think they're connected. Um, of the New Gods mythos. So, if that movie were to move forward, it could have reignited the Restore the Snyderverse uproar. So, to avoid such nuances, uh, such nuance, uh, such a nuisance, I should say, Warner Brothers consciously shelled the IP at least for some time. Nah. Because here's the thing, Raj. If that was true, if it was true that Warner Brothers canceled New God simply because they're afraid Darkseid being in it and Darkseid was in Snyder Cut, that would reignite the whole Snyder Cut thing. First of all, Warner Brothers don't really worry about some people crying online, whether it's me crying about one thing or other people crying about other things. They really don't care. They really don't. The other thing is, if they were worried about that, then they would never do anything with Aquaman again. They would never do anything with Batman again. They would never do anything with Wonder Woman again. They would. Ne- they certainly wouldn't do this new Flash movie because, well, Flash was just in Snyder Cut and changed a bunch of them. And now if we do this Flash movie, it's just going to reignite the, the contract. They don't care. They don't care. So, well, I totally see your, li- your train of thinking there. And I, I appreciate your train of thought there. I think there are two things you got to remember. One, Warner Brothers doesn't actually care what people like me or some others cry about online. They really don't. But the second thing is, if they were worried about that, then you'd have to apply that same principle to other characters that they're repeating as well. And since they're moving forward with those other characters, I think that becomes a non-issue. I really do. I think it's a non-issue. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll talk to a WB exec and they'll say, no, that's totally why we canceled it. Okay. Okay, fine. But until I'm told that by a WB rep, I actually think it's uh, it's probably not connected in any on any level. All right, next up. Thanks for sending that in, Rash. Uh, Film Pocket Knife Pictures writes, and tips in like $20. Thank you, man, for supporting the channel on that level. Hey, John, what would be your advice on marketing my second feature film? My first feature, Sanctuary Dream, broke even, $10,000 in 2019. It's an autism simulation movie. Interesting. And I would like to improve slash pivot business strategies for the, for the feature. Well... Okay, it's a good question you should be asking, but since your marketing approach to a movie is completely dependent upon what is your movie, who is the demographic it's it's targeting, what was the budget of the movie, uh, what is the nature of the film, all of those are important, important factors going into how do you market a movie. Because the answer to the question, how do you market a movie, is different for every single movie. That sounds stereotypical to say, but it's absolutely fact. You know, how you mark, I can't give you any sort of an opinion about how, because for all I know, this movie you, you made for $100,000. For all I know, this movie is a sci-fi movie about space cowboys. For all I know, you're targeting this movie at like 15 to 21 year olds. Um, or... You could be making a period drama about the guy who invented shoe tongues and you're targeting it to 48 to 75 year olds. I mean, so how you market it is from one thing to another would be completely different answers, completely different answers. So I, unfortunately, all I can say is, hey, good on you for completing a film and doing another one. That is awesome. Uh, I hope it does well for you, but how to market it is just 
when all I know is that you've got a movie that could be made for $20, could be made for $20 million, could be sci-fi, could be period piece, could be targeted at teens, could be targeted at seniors. I, I unfortunately can't give any other answer. Um, no other answer. I, I just, I just, cause it all depends on the nature of the movie. It's, other than that, I just can't answer that. Anyway, good luck on it though, man. And again, good on you for doing it, doing the first one and for doing the second one. Good on you, man. I hope it goes well for you. All right. Next up, uh, Nathan writes one of four. Hey, John, I recently started watching your channel a month or so ago. Welcome to the community, Nathan. I appreciate you being here, man. Uh, and I love what you do. Thank you so much. Uh, your show really is the sports center for movies. Since you started talking about Kim's Convenience, I watched the first two seasons and I'm loving it. I love Kim's Convenience. I'm so glad you're watching it. Uh, and loving it so far. I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on a show that I felt like not enough people are watching or even aware of. At the beginning of the pandemic, my brother insisted I start watching the show, What We Do in the Shadows. Nathan, clearly you are new here because we've talked about What We Do in the Shadows a lot. <laughs> we talk about that show a lot. Anyway, um, it turned out to be one of the best recommendations he's ever given to me. If you're unfamiliar with the show, I'm very familiar with the show. Uh, it's a mockumentary-style sitcom about a group of vampires living in Staten Island from Creative Minds. Have you conquered Staten Island? Uh, anyway, in Staten Island for the Creative Minds of uh, 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 Jeremy Clement and Taika Waititi. Uh, I don't think it needs to say anymore, but I will say that it is the funniest thing that I've seen in years. I can't recommend it highly enough. I would love to know your thoughts. Thanks. Okay, yeah. So again, Nathan... We have talked about what we do in the shadows a lot. I love this show, but I'm going, to, by the way you wrote that out, Nathan, I'm also going to make an assumption here just from the way you wrote that, that you have not seen the original movie of what we do in the shadows by Taika Waititi and Clement. You go back and watch the movie. So the movie came first and it is fantastic. I was late to the party on what we do in the shadows, the movie. I was a little bit late to the party. And so I remember Anne and I, one day we were driving back from Disneyland and I don't know what spawned it, but Anne's like, you know, I still haven't seen that. What we do in the shadows movie. Should we watch that tonight? I'm like, yeah, it's a great idea. So we drive home from Disneyland and we, you know, we make some popcorn. We sit down, we watch, and laughed ourselves sick the entire time. When they came out with the show, I initially thought, well, this is just going to be a cheap knockoff. Even though Taika's kind of behind it as a producer, it's just going to be a cheap self-knockoff, no interest. And watched the first episode and said, John, this is really good. I'm like, okay, I'm on board. Sat down, started watching it. I love this show. Guillermo is for all the vampires are great. Guillermo, the headless ex-boyfriend, you name it, the little ghost version living in the doll. Everything about this show is gold. I, if you have not started watching what we do in the shadows, you absolutely must take Nathan's advice and, and start checking it out. But yeah, it is absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Black Robin. Also probably my favorite thing to come out of what we do in the shadows. Black Robin just put in the uh, live chat, Jackie Daytona, totally human, Bar owner, absolutely human. Yes, one human beer, please. The Jackie Daytona episode with Mark Hamill is so freaking good. Jackie Daytona. Oh, God, I love that show. 
I love that show. I cannot wait for that show to come back. All right. Uh, let's keep moving here, shall we? Uh, next up, we've got Aaron Schrader writes, Disney did it again. Rye is available on digital less than a month after going up for premiere access. I'll not stand for it this time. I called and complained. It's being taken to the escalation department tomorrow. We'll keep you all abreast. Well, Aaron, I, I appreciate that. And I understand the frustration, but you know, you know that when you pay that extra, by the way, I do, I never recommend paying for that Disney plus premier access. I never recommend paying for that because either watch it another way or just wait for it to come out on Disney plus for free. But you know, it's going to be on Disney plus for free shortly, whether it's in one month or three months or whatever. And you know that when you plop down that 30 bucks, you're plopping it down just to watch it earlier than you would normally have to wait. And whether they put it out two weeks later or two months later, you know that you were paying for the privilege to watch it now, right? Them putting it out on regular access on Disney Plus did not change the fact that you got to watch it early. It didn't change the fact that you had the experience watching it that you had. It doesn't take anything away. I mean, does it make you second guess your decision to plop down the extra 30 bucks? Maybe, but that's why I'm always telling people, why bother? Don't pay that extra $30 for the premier access. Like if you don't have the option of watching it in a theater, just wait a little bit. Like I, I, I am just personally, I, I don't like this whole idea that Disney plus does of pay for our service and then pay another bit of money to watch something early. I don't like that. If you're making us pay for your service, then just put it on your service. That's just kind of my take on it. If you're not going to put it in theaters, then just put it on, put it on Disney plus. We pay you every month. We pay a very small price. I admit we pay a very, very small price a, a ridiculously inexpensive price for Disney plus, but that's how much you charge and we're paying it. So I, I would never, ever, ever recommend paying a $30 premium fee to watch it early. Never. The only way I'm doing that is if I'm getting a full theatrical, real movie going experience. But yeah, at the end of the day, while I understand your frustration, I do. Did you get what you paid for? You did. You paid the 30 bucks. You got early access to Ryan the Last Dragon. There, you got what you paid for. And it doesn't matter if they put out put it out on Disney a month later or a year later. You got what you paid for. But it is that practice that Disney has that makes me recommend to people when they say, should, should I pay? Like when people ask me, did you like Ryan the Last Dragon? You remember on my show? People asked, John, did you like Ryan the Last Dragon? I'm like, yes, I quite enjoyed Ryan the Last Dragon. And then Rob asked me, so would you say you would recommend paying the 30 bucks to get the early access? I'm like, no, no, I wouldn't. It's really good, but it's, if you're a Disney plus subscriber, it's going to be up here shortly anyway. So no, I would not recommend, and you're not getting the theatrical movie going experience. Just wait, just wait. But Aaron, I would also say this, maybe you calling to complain and maybe if more people did, it'll 
nudge Disney. It might, maybe it'll influence Disney to stop this whole ridiculous $30 after you're already a paying member, uh, premier access nonsense. But I, I don't know. Well, it is what it is. But again, Aaron, at the end of the day, did Disney deliver to you what they promised to deliver to you for that $30? And the answer to that question is yes, they did. You paid for early access. They gave you early access. And uh, I, I think we all learned the hard way that we just shouldn't pay that early access fee at all. We shouldn't. So anyway, that's that. But anyway, I hope it goes well for you. Uh, I hope you at least enjoyed the movie because if you didn't like the movie, that makes it even worse. But I hope you at least enjoyed the movie, my brother. All right, next up. The Wakandan Forever writes, uh, I made the worst mistake of my life. You know, Wakanda has been learning guitar and I'm making real progress. All that ended today. I bought my first whammy bar. Oh, dude, that is the worst thing ever. All my music theory just went out the window. There's no going back. LOL, Kiss Army. Yeah, I remember when I was learning guitar, um, I've always been an acoustic guitar guy, but I, there was a little bit of a time where I picked up an electric guitar and I started playing a little bit of electric, but the whammy bar was the worst thing in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, especially if you're trying to learn guitar. That is the worst thing to have. Never let yourself have that, man. Never let yourself have it. Okay, just get rid of that this damn thing until you learn actually how to actually play. Get rid of it. All right, next up. Um, uh, Stefan DeLint writes, Hello, John. Have you seen Wolf Walkers? I have not. I've heard some pretty decent things about it, though. Have you seen Wolf, Wolf Walkers on Apple TV Plus? It's the latest animated feature from Cartoon Saloon, creators of The Secret uh, of Kells and The Song at uh, Song of the Sea. It's nominated uh, for this year's Oscars, and I like it more than Soul. Highly recommend. You know, I've heard a few people recommend Wolf Walkers. Have any of you guys in the live chat seen it, by the way? Have any of you guys watched Wolf Walkers? Um, I've heard, I've heard it's pretty good. But I know very, very little about it, and I so I haven't checked it out myself. I haven't watched a lot on Apple TV+, Plus, but I have liked what I've seen. Uh, so let me know if you guys have watched it and uh, if, it, uh, if it works for you or not. All right. Thanks for the recommendation on that stuff, and I really appreciate it. All right, next up, Connor writes, uh, I don't know how I effed up sending part two of my question the other day. I was going to ask if you think that since Benny, uh, Safdie is going to be in Obi-Wan, will him and his brother end up directing a Marvel or star Wars movie? Feige knows, uh, good filmmakers. Um, I remember part one, Connor. Yeah. Because Benny Safdie who directed good time with Robert Pattinson, uh, him and his brother are great director duo. He is going to be one of the actors in the upcoming Obi-Wan series. So since he's kind of in the family now, does that mean we could see him directing a Marvel thing? Well, I mean, I don't know. Look, Marvel has 11 movies or Disney plus series, 11 coming out this year alone. Barring any major schedule changes, 11 in a year. And they got so many things coming Disney and Marvel are going to need a lot of directors. I don't think Benny appearing as a supporting character, because he's also an actor. I don't think Benny appearing as a supporting character in a Star Wars show increases the chances. But I mean, being good directors and Disney is literally going to need 20 to 30 good directors over the next three to four years for all the projects they have coming. I think there's a pretty good chance we could see the Safdie brothers. I think there's a pretty good chance. 
But again, I don't think him appearing in in Obi-Wan increases or decreases that chance, but I think they have a pretty good chance nonetheless. They and they did do a really good job with good time with uh uncut gems that they did with Adam Sandler. Uh so it'll be interesting. But also they have to be directors that would fit well with Kevin Feige. And not every good director will fit in well with Kevin Feige. So he also looks for that. But so we'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens. All right, next up. Uh, Connor writes, one of two. Man of Steel is one of my favorite movies. Mine too. Uh, but I can't believe that I've never heard of anyone else say that the Phantom Zone pods look like a flying boners. To me, this isn't a negative on the movie though. I just think it's uh, for, I think it's for one hilarious and then in my headcanon, the Kryptonians designed the pods to look like this on purpose. Not only are you exiled from your family uh, and life as you know it, but you're also trapped in a dong rocket. This is cruel and unusual. Cal was right. Krypton had its chance. By the way, one of my favorite lines in Man of Steel, Krypton had its chance. I love that line. Anyway, um, I will admit, Connor, I have never noticed... That the prison ship kind of looked like a big giant flying dildo. Did never never did cross my mind. But now, thanks to you, thanks a lot. Whenever I do watch Man of Steel, that's probably all I'm gonna see. Because now you've just ruined that for me, dude. You just completely ruined it. Now when I watch it, all I'm gonna see whenever I get to that scene, I'm just gonna see big giant phallic symbols. So yeah, thanks a lot for that, man. You just spoiled the movie for me. All right, let's move on here. Next up. Jose Sal- uh, Salazar writes, Hey, John, um, hope you're feeling better. I Again, not 100%, but I'm on my way. I'm feeling better. Thanks. Now that we're getting a hybrid release for Black Widow, Disney Plus and Theatrical, do you think that the same will happen for both Shang-Chi and Eternals? No, I don't. And as a matter of fact, I mentioned this a little bit earlier in the show today, with the results that Godzilla versus Kong is getting in the box office, I am not saying that Disney will pull black widow off of their premier access on disney plus i'm not saying they're going to do that but i guarantee you i a thousand percent guarantee you that somewhere in the halls of disney headquarters right now there are conversations going on between bob Iger, bob chapek um uh, uh, uh kevin feige alan horn they're all discussing today hey did you see how much Godzilla Godzilla versus Kong made nearly $300 million in its first five days of release worldwide, nearly 50 million in North America alone. Maybe we should just, maybe we should go back to making black widow just theatrical again. I don't know that they'll do that, but I guarantee you those conversations are happening now. So as far as Shang-Chi um, and Eternals go, I think those they were already pretty firm that they want to keep those just theatrical. And I think this Godzilla versus Kong, um, I think the Godzilla versus Kong results are just really cementing that. So no, I, I don't think, I mean, anything's possible, right? Anything's possible, but I don't think they're going to do that for Shang-Chi and Eternals. And they might even change directions with Black Widow. They totally should. They totally should totally change directions with Black Widow and make it theatrical exclusive again. They totally should. But uh, they'll probably keep it the same, but I guarantee you they're talking about it. I guarantee it. All right. Scott Brown writes, "Um, Godzilla versus Kong was shit. 
The fights were good, but the rest of the movie was cliche disaster movie characters and that trillionaire villain. How, uh, how did he build all this shit and who keeps leaving front doors open in the secret lairs need to be shot? Hey, listen, I thought the movie was fantastic, Scott, but I hear you. I can't argue with any of those points. This Shakespeare did not write this movie. All right. It is clear that Shakespeare did not write this movie. There are definite weaknesses to this movie, no doubt. And for you, the experience ended up being bad, and that sucks. But for me, the experience was still awesome. I thought it was completely enjoyable. I had a big smile on my face the whole time. But again, I don't refute at all any of your specific complaints here because you're not wrong. You're not wrong about that. I just thought the end result was a damn good fun time at the movies. Anyway, thanks for that, Scott. Next up. My avatar fan, uh, fan cast for fun rights, uh, Willem Dafoe as a uh, boomy. As soon as boomy came up on screen, I think everybody thought Willem Dafoe for that. Uh, Ella from Lucifer as Azula, uh, Maisie Williams as Toph, uh, Carrie Hiroyuki, uh, uh, Tagawa as Zhao, uh, Paul Sun Hyung Lee as Eero, <laughs> Mr. Kim as Eero. Or Uncle Iroh, uh, Kikoa uh, Kikumano as Ahsoka, Ryan Potter as Zuko, Mingna Wen as Kiyoshi, uh, Hiri, uh, Hiro Yuki Sanada as Ozai, Fire, Fire Lord Ozai, and John Campia as my cabbages guy. My cabbages, you dude, how do you do an avatar fan casting and not put in Aang? Who do you got as Aang? Personally, Daniel Day-Lewis for Aang. He can play a 10-year-old. I don't care. But yeah, how do you do all that without putting in Aang? Maisie Williams is Toph. You know what? The problem with Maisie Williams is Toph is, I think, isn't Maisie Williams in her 20s now? Also, hey, Google, how old is Maisie Williams? Give me a second here. I'll find this out. She's 23 years old. Maisie Williams is now 23 years old, so I'm not sure she can work as Toph, but hey, I do like her though. I do like her a lot. All right, next up, uh, Tim Tracy writes, hey, John, I wrote in about songs associated with movies of the day. You meant probably meant the other day. I find it really I ironic that the song you picked from Kevin Costner's Robin Hood, Everything I Do, is actually my parents' wedding song. So thanks for the memories. Yeah, so Tim wrote in the other day and was asking about, you know, your favorite song from a movie. And to me, the the sign that a song is a perfect song in a movie is when you later hear that song, all you think about is the scene from the movie that that takes place in, right? So some examples for that that I gave were um, You've Lost That Love and Feeling from Top Gun. Whenever I hear that song, you never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. Like whenever I hear that song, all I think about now is that bar scene from Top Gun. That's all I see in my head. Uh, Brian Adams is everything I do. I do it for you. Whenever I hear that song, my mind is flooded with images from uh, Robin Hood. That, that My mind is filled with images from Robin Hood because that, that song is forever connected for me to that song. Obviously, uh, Titanic, you know, uh, Heart Will Go On or whatever the name of the song is. You hear that song. You're here. There's nothing I fear. I mean, you hear that and instantly 
your head is filled with a sinking boat and water and don't go and you know all that kind of stuff you know your head's just filled with it so that's a great that is a great sign of the um of when a song is a perfect song for a movie and um it's cool to know that that song everything i do was your parents wedding song uh mine and Anne, we had our wedding song was actually a song by peter gabriel called book of love and we had never heard the song until we went to a Peter Gabriel concert at the Hollywood Bowl. We love going to concerts at the Hollywood Bowl. Anne and I went to a Peter Gabriel concert at the Hollywood Bowl where he did the he didn't have a band, he had a full philharmonic orchestra. No band, just a philharmonic orchestra. And he played this song called Book of Love, which I had never heard before. And Anne and I both fell in love with the song. They it turns out they used it for the finale of Scrubs as well. But anyway, the song called Book of Love, if you've never heard it, go look it up on YouTube. And it was a beautiful, beautiful tune. And we actually made it our wedding song. So anyway, there's that. Okay. Next up, uh, Chris writes, uh, hey, John, love all that you do. Thank you, Chris. If you haven't done uh, this for Movies in 20, I'd recommend Sneakers. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one to do for Movies in 20. Uh, Since it's your favorite Robert Redford film, as it is for me too. And you mention it often in your shows. First film I ever saw with Redford, very underrated. You know what? That is a great idea for Movies in 20. You're right. A lot of people have never seen it, don't understand what we're talking. Like we'll often bring up Sneakers in our movie conversations, like blah, 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 like in Sneakers. And a lot of people have no idea what we're talking about. That is a great candidate for Movies in 20, Chris. Excellent, excellent suggestion. I think we will do that. I think we will do that. All right, great suggestion, Chris. Next up, Tim Tracy writes, After binging all of Smallville and uh, her definitive Lex Luthor being Michael Rosenbaum, my girlfriend has become obsessed with Superman and Lois. While it does have some CW elements to it, it does feel like its own show, and I think it's better because of that reason. Hey, listen, I gotta t- you, you guys have heard me talking about this a lot lately. I am stunned, shocked, and in disbelief of how much I like Superman and Lois. I thought this show was going to be absolute garbage. I had no faith in it whatsoever, and I I call it like I see it. I always you may like you may agree with my opinions, you may disagree with my opinions, but you always know you're getting my honest opinion. And even though I thought this thing was going to be utter garbage, and I had absolutely no interest in it for the way they've ruined Superman already. I really like this Superman and Lois show. I really like it. It's really good. And I am shocked and I am stunned and I am in disbelief over it. But I, me, you and your girlfriend, man, on that same wavelength, dude. I'm very, very impressed with it. And I cannot wait for it to come back. Um, all right. Next up, we've got uh, the Wakanda Forever writes. Who thought this movie was going to be this good? Nobody. God, I, 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 was, I was expecting it to be fun. With Bob Odenkirk, I was not anticipating how good and how fun nobody is. Anyway, I had a blast. Don't mess with John Wick's puppy and don't take a girl's kitty cat bracelet. Godzilla Kong fight was good, but this was the best film I saw this weekend. You will be surprised. Listen, I was surprised too. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's made by, you know, the same guy and whatever who made John Wick. So there's a reason it feels like a complete John Wick ripoff. It totally does. Totally does. But you know what? doesn't matter because it's fun and it's entertaining. And I had a blast watching nobody. I had a blast 
watch this movie, particularly in a movie theater if you can, but watch this movie. It was surprisingly good. It was surprisingly good, and I think you might enjoy it. All right, thanks for that, Wakandan. Next up, Hot Tamale Palm Trey writes, one of two, John, my man, add another notch on your belt. Like you, for many years, I was addicted to sodas. My crack of choice was Dr. Pepper, but thanks to your show, I was introduced to the deliciousness that is Zevia. Uh, scratch one less thing I need to worry about in regards to my long-term health. Uh, and it's cause of you. So thank you so much. Now give that man his sponsorship Zevia, you cheap sons of bitches. Uh, listen, I'll tell you what, again, I, I started off doing the movie blog, drinking two, two liter bottles of Coke per day. Those are the big bottles, two big bottles of Coke per day. I then thought I'd be making a healthy choice by switching to diet. So I went from Coca-Cola to diet Pepsi and I was drinking two, two liters of diet Pepsi per day. Then I later, I found out that, Hey man, drinking that much artificial sweeteners may have been one of the contributing factors to the heart attack you had. I thought, well, I need to get off the diet soda. Like I still have a diet Pepsi now and again, don't get me wrong, but like the days of two, two liters a day gone. And so I needed to find a soda alternative. And uh, yeah, I got introduced to, to Zevia or Zevia, however you pronounce it. It has no sugar and no artificial sweeteners. And it's, I find it very satisfying. And I, I drink, uh, you know, two cans of this a day. Usually when I'm doing my show, when I'm doing my show, I'll go through like two cans, but uh, I really do enjoy it anyway. Glad you're enjoying it as well, Hot Tamale. I'm glad you're enjoying it as well. And yes, you cheap sons of bitches. More people drink your damn product because of me than anything else you've ever done. You should be giving me at least half of your marketing budget. Zevia, Zevia, whatever the hell you say. Whether you sponsor me or not, I'm still going to drink your soda because I really do think it's good. But bastards, bastards, you should be supporting and sponsoring this channel you jerks. Anyway, uh, Casey, the sledge storyteller writes, Hey John, if Godzilla versus Kong truly breaks the box office, can we look forward to future movies with other Godzilla foes like, uh, Gion, uh, or Orga, maybe Megalon. And again, Disney plus needs some condor man. Well, no, I'm okay without condor man, but Aaron Cummings brought up an interesting point. Casey, the other day about, was the success of this movie more about Godzilla or was it more about Kong? I would, I, I would, hmm. I submit to you that it was probably more because of Kong. You know, Aaron brought up a great point. She said, in North America, we don't have the same passionate love for Godzilla in North America as Godzilla is loved around the world. Here, we're really more about Kong. The last Godzilla movie was a big disappointment and kind of underperformed at the box office and blah, blah, blah. Throwing King Kong with them, whatever. So I, listen, I think they will definitely make more Monster Universe movies. Maybe a Godzilla v. Kong 2 or maybe just a Godzilla and Kong versus, you know, whoever, whatever it is, Megalon, Giant Spider-Man, whatever. I think they will do more. Will we get another standalone standalone Godzilla movie? I'm not sure. I mean, the results they got from King of the Monsters is still very fresh in their mind. And, and, and listen, I, ah, 
I think we'll get more, but I think it'll either be another Godzilla with Kong movie or another Kong movie. But I don't know when we're going to see another standalone Godzilla movie. And and maybe I'm wrong. I, I'm not willing to put money on that, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, this kind of success will make them want to keep moving forward with these kinds of movies at any rate, Casey. All right, next up, Dakota writes, um, with social media making it easier for visionaries to tell a story and make it into a film. But before social media, before YouTube, there was Orson Welles. Ah, yes. Orson Welles, who took his stories from early radio to the big screen, the very first media visionary. Listen, there's a, there's a movie, uh, Dakota, I'm glad you brought that up. There's a movie that not a lot of people talk about other than me. But it's a movie starring, um, I, was, I was almost said Ryan Gosling, Zac Efron. Zac Efron and the girl from Stardust, Claire Danes. I believe it was Claire Danes. I think it's Zac Efron and Claire Danes called Orson Welles and Me or Me and Orson Welles. And it's really good. And it's the movie, the really, the movie isn't about Orson Welles or that he's a a prime character in it, but it's the movie that to me made me go, you know what? This Zac Efron kid is actually a really good actor. Like forget the, the, the teeny bopper magazine cover Zac Efron. This dude can actually really act. And it's the movie that for me, that made me a Zac Efron fan. And I have liked him ever since. And anyway, Dakota, good observation. Excellent, excellent message to submit. And you're right about that, about when you look back and you look at all the stuff with Orson Welles, particularly like with War, uh, 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 Battle of the Planet, or uh, War of the Worlds, that's what it is, War of the Worlds. When you look at what he was able to pull off with War of the Worlds and everything, it's amazing. He's a history, he's a Hollywood history lesson, walking history lesson. Uh, ex- anyway, excellent thing to bring up, Dakota. Next up, Caleb writes, John slash Rob, who's not here anymore. Uh, I am secure enough in my masculinity to say that I've only cried in four movies. Empire of the Sun, very good. Angels in America. Uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild. I'm the man. I, I really like Beasts of the Southern Wild. Um, uh, and this weekend, Pride of the Yankees. Oh my God, Pride of the Yankees? The one about Lou Gehrig? Uh, so beautiful and still holds up. What do you think of God? I haven't seen that. I mean, I think I, I originally saw if we're thinking about the one that was in like the 1940s, 1940s or 1950s. I probably saw that like once on VHS when I was, I don't know, maybe when I was in like out, just out of college or something, it's been a while since I've watched that. I don't remember being particularly um, moved by it. If I'm thinking of, you know, just look at it. I think you're talking about the one that's about Lou Gehrig. Uh, let, let me bring it up here on, uh, on IMDb and see what I can find. Um, sorry. Uh, Pride of the Yankees. All right. Oh, it was early 1940s. It was 1942. There we go. The life and the story, life and career of Lou Gehrig starring Gary Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Babe Ruth actually appeared in that movie. It's, it's been a while since I've seen that. Um, but I, I'll say this. I don't remember being particularly in love with it, but I don't know. It's, it's been forever since I've watched it. So I, I might have to go back and watch it again. 
I'm going to have to go back at some point and watch it again. Um, cause maybe I'll have a different experience with it today, uh, than I did before. All right. Next up. Uh, thanks for sharing that list, Caleb. All right. BK Dan writes, Hey John, uh, just bit the bullet, not a fan of AMC, nothing personal to anyone out there to see Kong and Godzilla at an AMC 35 miles out from me. Sad face. My local regal won't be opening till May 14th. Well, yeah, always, if you can go to something closer, you go to something closer, but 35 miles ain't so bad. 35 miles ain't so bad. Especially when you consider that I drove over 230 miles to go and watch uh, New Mutants in a movie theater. But no, 35 miles, because you make that drive a little over a half hour, right? That's not so bad. At least you got to go see it. But yeah, it's it's more ideal if you can see it in a theater that's much closer to you, especially if you're a fan of that theater chain. So, But hey, man, good for you go to go in and check it out on the big screen. All right, next up. BK Dan also writes, Dear Professor Campia, I love the Campia classroom uh, where you break down the nuts and bolts of the industry. Just paying tuition. <laughs> LOL. Thanks and keep up the great work. Thank you so much, BK. Yeah, I, every once in a while, I just find it's easier every once in a while to break out the, not because the reason I like breaking out the Campia classroom once in a while is just because sometimes when you can visually look at certain facts, it just, it drives home and it just makes the point a little better when you can just look at the facts, right? So like the other day when we were talking about the impressiveness of Godzilla versus Kong's opening, you know, to actually put out in, so we can visually look at it with our eyes, you know, little things like this movie, like Godzilla versus, or Godzilla King of the Monsters didn't have the option that people could just watch in HBO Max. Godzilla versus uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters didn't have a pandemic going on when it was out. Godzilla King of the Monsters didn't have limited theater capacity when it was out there. I mean, it's just, it comes in handy when we can visualize what it is we're talking about. So that's the reason that every once in a while I like to open up the Campia classroom because sometimes I think like points like that are just, they stick with us a little more. And they have a little bit more of a profound impact when we can visually look at it instead of just audibly hearing it. But anyway, that's why I like doing that. I, I like doing that. Anyway, thank you for that, BK Dan. I appreciate that. Okay, BK also writes, Hey, John, someone mentioned Comic-Con the other day in a companion video. I know you partake of that con. Have you and Anne ever been to, D to a D&D con like Gen Con or Gary Con? I have not. Uh, I've never been to a D&D convention. My wife, Anne, has. She's gone to a couple. I think it was Gen Con. I might be mistaken about that. But my wife has been to a couple. I have not been to any of them. I wouldn't mind going. It's just they've never been convenient for me to do. Um, and obviously a Comic-Con is about a lot more things than a very specific D&D con is. But uh, I would go. I would go to one. But I have not been yet. But Anne has. All right, next up. The Wakanda Forever writes. The two biggest music controversies of my life were the telling of the truth of the Partridge family and Millie Vanilla. Probably meant Millie Vanilli. John admitted you were devastated when you learned the truth. What's your favorite music video? Thriller and White and Nerdy for me. Oh, I love the White and Nerdy music video. And obviously Thriller is an all-time classic. Um, yeah, I remember I, 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 I didn't care about Millie Vanilli. But yeah, hearing about the fact that they didn't even sing the songs, that was surprising. I was very shocked to hear that. But... My favorite music video, man, I haven't thought about that. What would be my favorite music video? I am a, not my favorite song, but I am a big fan of the music video for U2's Elevation, which was connected with the uh, uh, Tomb Raider 
movie franchise. I really do like that music video. It's really great. I, I mean, sticking with you two, I also love where the streets have no name, where they did, where you two did a pop-up surprise concert on a rooftop in Los Angeles. And that was pretty cool. Um, I don't know. I've never really thought about my favorite music videos. So maybe if I think about it a little longer, I'll, I'll come up with different answers, but just off the top of my head, there's that. All right. Koa 1708 writes hypothetical question. Would slash can Disney ever retcon the sequel, the star Wars sequel trilogy? Can they, of course they can. They own it. Would they No, they won't nor should they like, I hate the star Wars prequels. I hate them, but I will uh, like argue till we pass out from lack of breath that they should never touch them. They're canon. They, they happened. They're canon. They should not be touched. But John, you don't like those movies. I know, but it's not whether or not I like them. I'm not one of these crybabies. It's like, make everything the way I like it. I'm not one of those crybabies. I hate those movies, but you should never touch them. They should never be retconned. They, they happened. They're a part of canon. They should be left alone. And Disney will leave them alone. I feel the same way about the Star Wars uh, sequel trilogy. By the way, I think, I don't think the Star Wars sequel trilogy, I think overall the Star Wars sequel trilogy is good. The first one was awesome. The Force Awakens is awesome. Like, flat out, completely awesome. I like The Last Jedi, although it certainly has elements that I hate, but I like it overall. And then The Rise of Skywalker was just terrible. I mean, there's no getting around that. The Rise of Skywalker was terrible. Even though I know many people still like it, that's great. For me, it was terrible. But no, they should not ever be touched, and I don't think they ever will be touched. And um, yeah, yeah. So I don't think either the prequel trilogy nor the sequel trilogy will ever be touched, uh, and nor should they be. Can Disney retcon the prequels and the sequels? They can. It's theirs. They own it. It's their prerogative. They can do whatever they want, but will they? No. And should they? No, they are what they are. Just move forward. Just move forward and make new movies and, uh, and move on from that. Anyway, uh, next up, uh, Frankie, uh, Gouge writes, uh, that latest black widow trailer is the way to reboot marketing. Excellent trailer took me from okay to damn. I'm with you, Frankie. That's what it did for me. I'm like, I, I was interested in the movie because the trailers have been pretty good. The trailers up until now have been pretty good. And I'm like, okay, this looks, I'm not big on Black Widow getting a solo movie or Hawkeye getting a solo show, but all right, it, it looks all right. This trailer was the best one yet. It really focused on the, the individuals, the character, the story. I liked what I saw and it made me legitimately excited for the movie. So I'm with you on that one, Frankie. BK Dan writes, Hey, John, a suggestion for movies in 20 enemy mind. That's not a bad one either. Lou Gossett Jr. That's what a lot, a lot of people have seen, but uh, it's really good. By the way, for those of you who may not know, there was a Star Trek episode where Captain Picard and this alien being who only spoke in metaphors were trapped on a planet and they had to learn to communicate to each other. That was totally influenced by the movie enemy mind. And, uh, that one might not be a bad one either. That's not a bad recommendation either. All right. Hippie radio writes, uh, Hey John and Rob, Rob's not here any longer. Rob is, Rob is only here for an hour and a half when he's on. I can't ask people to <laughs> take up more of their day than that. Um, Hey John and Rob with the pandemic success of Godzilla versus Kong. Do you think they will move forward with the monster verse? PS all hail Godzilla. Still your undisputed King of the monsters. Oh, nonsense. Nonsense. I'm not going to give any spoilers. But to me, the true king was obvious in Godzilla versus Kong. But anyway, that's just me. Um, yes. Yes, I do believe they will. 
Uh, whether it's a standalone Kong movie, where it's another Kong and Godzilla movie together, whether it's something else, some kind of amalgamation. But I think this success, especially in light of the pandemic, I definitely think they're going to make another one. How long from now? I'm not sure, but I do think they're probably going to move forward and make another one. All right. Michael H. Jones writes and tips in like $20. Thank you, Michael H. Jones for that. Hey, John. With Godzilla vs. Kong doing really well at the box office this weekend and Black Widow still three months away, do you think there's any chance Disney might change their minds and just release Black Widow in theaters? You've read my mind, Michael. And by the way, thank you for tipping in that much. I appreciate it, man. You totally read my mind. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely believe they are considering that. Now, whether they actually will, uh, whether or not they actually will go ahead and pull it off Disney plus and just make it theatrical. I don't know about that, but I guarantee you they're talking about it. I guarantee you they're talking about it. I mean, you can't not at least have those discussions when you look at the results that a Godzilla versus Kong movie is getting. And none of those movies were big hits before. I mean, they've done, they've done okay, but they're not like big monstrous hits. And if that can do that, what could a Black Widow do? A Marvel MCU movie. So whether or not they actually push forward and do that, don't know. I'd say there's a 50-50 chance. But they're 1,000% talking about it. You have to. It would be irresponsible not to at least con to consider that a, um, a possibility. So yeah, I think it's being talked about, Michael. Let's see if they actually pull the trigger on it or not. I'm not so sure about that. All right, Willow writes, when King of the Monsters struggled at the box office, you said that if Godzilla versus Kong hadn't already finished filming, it probably would have been canceled. And I, I stand by that. I totally believe that. Uh, given the movie's current performance, do you think the studios are glad to have made it after all? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, whenever you have success. Listen, it's the old adage. You've heard me say it a thousand times. Winning cures everything. But I completely still stand by that. If they had not already been in production of, on Godzilla versus Kong, the failure of Godzilla King of the Monsters would have definitely ended the franchise. I said that before. I stand by that. I totally believe that. Like, Because then you would have had Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, Godzilla King of the Monsters. Like the box office was continuously dropping. Godzilla King of the Monsters was a poor movie and really underperformed at the box office. I I am 100% sure. Now, who knows? Maybe a Warner Brothers executive may tell me otherwise someday. But until they do, I totally believe that they if had they not already started making Godzilla versus Kong by the time King of the Monsters came out, I don't think I think they would have killed the project. I really do. And are they glad today that they went forward? Oh, hell yes, they're glad. I mean, this one worked out really, really well. And uh, and I think they're even going to do more now moving forward. All right, uh, let's move on here. Next up, uh, the Wakanda Forever writes, Ah, I was ready to go for WrestleMania. Got an email. They canceled the WWE Network. Now it's on Peacock. They say I have to sign up with them. Three plans, regular premium and premium plus. Ads or pay... Uh, more for no ads. Do you have Peacock, John? Absolute joke. It's not. No, I listen. Peacock's. A, I hate the name of the damn service, but Peacock's a really good service. I'm enjoying it. And I like the fact that they're doing something that the other networks aren't doing. They're giving you an option. Hey, there's a totally free version. 
right? To watch for, um, for free with ads. Then there's a version or, or how does it go? Anyway, there's a really inexpensive, if not free version that you can watch a whole bunch of stuff on Peacock with commercials. So if you want to pay less, they give you that option. Then they give you an option to have it with no ads. That's a little bit more expensive. And then they give you an option for no ads with even more premium content. And they give you the choice. You have a choice. As a consumer, you have choice. And even their most expensive plan, which Ann and I signed up for, we signed up for the more exp- for the, the premium no ads one, the premium plus, it's very inexpensive for how, what you get. And considering that people were paying, I don't know, 10, 11 bucks a month just for the WWE network, and now it's a part of Peacock, that's an extra good deal. So I think that's a, a wonderful, wonderful value. I think it's a, if you're a WWE fan, I think that is a terrific value because now for almost the same price, you're getting the WWE network and you're getting everything that's on Peacock. Still got to change that name. But yes, I think it's a great value, man. I think it's a really, really good value. All right, next up, we got James L.H. writes, Hey, John, hope you're well. I am doing well, thank you. I'm not impatient when it comes to news or trailers on upcoming projects. To me, it arrives when it arrives. But there is there is one I do look for any news on more than most, Shogun. I just hope I don't uh, put too much expectation on it. Well, listen, James, you guys know, when they made that Disney announcement where they announced all the new Star Wars shows and all the new Marvel shows and all that kind of stuff, the thing that got me most excited was Shogun. That is the one that by far made me the most excited. And I, I, I had no idea if they would ever go back and do Shogun again. They haven't done it since that 80s miniseries. I love Shogun. It is a perfect story to tell, especially on a, on a format like online streaming. I'm so excited for it. No news right now, but that's fine. Don't expect any news yet. Probably not for a little bit still. It's probably still in development. But I will be looking forward to it, man. It is the thing, again, more than any of the DC or any of the Marvel shows, any of the Star Wars shows, that is the thing that got most of my excitement. And I cannot wait for them to get to that, James. I just can't wait for it. All right, Wakanda Forever writes, I had absolutely no interest whatsoever in Space Jam Legacy. You couldn't have paid me to watch that film. Then I saw the trailer. I have to say it looks interesting. Iron Giant, who knows? I might be surprised. Never judge until you see it, right? I mean, that's a good attitude. Uh, Again, for me... The trailer, it just, it wasn't a bad trailer. I'm not saying the Space Jam trailer was bad. I'm just saying it didn't do anything for me. You know, it didn't make me more into Now, Rob, Rob did like it. I mean, Rob said, before I saw the trailer, I wasn't interested in the movie. I've seen the trailer. Now I'm at least interested in the movie. So that's good. For me, it didn't make me go up that level. I wasn't really pardon me. I wasn't really interested in it before. I'm still not all that interested in it. So they'll have to do a better job with the trailers to get me more on board with it. But anyway, that's just kind of my take on it. Wakanda. All right. Uh, next up here. One second here. Um, okay. Next up we've got, where are we? Uh, Patrick Conway writes, uh, was reading about the Russo second movie post MCU, the, the gray man, actually, this will be their third post MCU movie. Uh, the gray man, actually their fourth. Yeah. Their fourth. 
uh, one. Anyway, or if, if talking about one, they 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 personally sit in the director's chair and do would probably be the second. But they they have been responsible. For, this will be their fourth movie. They're, they've been responsible for under their Agbo production banner. Anyway, uh, the Gray Man, a spy action film in the vein of Winter Soldier, with Chris Evans starring and Marcus and McFeely writing it. Uh, this uh, this sounds like it should be badass, but Feige could be a missing ingredient here. Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit earlier, right? Um. Listen, to me so far, everything that the Russo brothers have put out with their Agbo production banner has been a disappointment. 21 Bridges, Extraction, Cherry, although I haven't seen Cherry myself, I just keep hearing bad things about it. But maybe if I watched it, I'd love it. Um, And now this gray man, I, I really hope for a win, but you're right. I am starting to wonder if Feige needs to be a part of that mix for them to really hit their creative apex uh maybe yes maybe no all i know is i've been really excited for all three of their other movies and other than cherry which i haven't watched i just heard bad things about it i've been pretty disappointed so far so maybe feige's the missing element to that maybe it's not we'll we'll find out all right next up i hope i hope the gray man's great though i hope it's great all right american jedi writes uh, I enjoy the Planet of the Apes series, especially the first two original ones, as well as the recent films. Where do you see this franchise going now with Disney at the helm? A remake of the original would be great since the apes would be the antagonists. You know, it's a good question. I think Rob and I were talking about that a while ago. It's like, where do they go with or what do they even do with the Planet of the Apes series now? Like, what do you do with Planet of the Apes? Is there still a lot of hunger for it? I was honestly a little bit disappointed with War for the Planet of the Apes. I like the first two one, like the one with James Franco and then the the sequel. I like those two a lot. I wasn't I wasn't a big fan of the War for the Planet of the Apes to be honest with you. But where do you go with that franchise now? What can you do something with that franchise right now? I don't know. And you know what the interesting thing is, I've never really even heard like we've heard Disney talk about aliens we've heard disney talk about like some other ip that they inherited from fox i don't think i've heard them talk about planet of the apes unless i'm forgetting something which is totally possible i could be forgetting something but yeah i just don't know which way you go with it i I, like where do you go from there do you do a remake of the original it's kind of difficult to do a remake of the original when you already kind of know the big twist ending you know what you damn you like when he sees the the Statue of Liberty and he realizes he was on Earth all along? I mean, that's kind of a big twist. That kind of fundamentally, I, I don't know. You know, it it does kind of make sense, American Jedi. If you're gonna do another Planet of the Apes, you might as well go right back and do a reboot of the actual original, which they've never done. They've never actually done a remake of the original. And so, because that Mark Wahlberg one wasn't really a remake of the original, not really. So, I mean, not really when you really look at it, but at any rate, I maybe, but I don't see, I don't know when they might get around to doing it or or if they have any plans for it at all. All right. Uh, Let's move on here. Only got time for a couple more. My voice is about to go, guys. We've been gone. We've gone gone over three hours today, although we are getting close to the end. But American Jedi also writes uh, movie word association, John. All right. Are you ready? Say the first thing that comes. Uh, to you as you read these films mentions. Uh, Lord of the Rings, epic. Scarface, cocaine. <laughs> uh, the Godfather, all-time great. The Thing, genre-defining. Argo, uh, Argo, fuck yourself. Uh, Jaws, terror. 
Uh, the Princess Bride, one of the greats. Uh, thanks for playing. Uh, what do we have for China? Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad word association game. By the way, I was stunned recently. I saw a survey. I, I, it was one of the movie magazines. It might have been Empire Magazine I saw this in. Maybe it was one of the other ones. But I saw this survey where it was basically asked, have you seen Princess Bride? And to me, like, well, yeah, obviously everybody's watched Princess Bride. But it was like only like 50 something percent of the respondents on this survey had said they watched Princess Bride. I'm like, what? Folks, listen, if you've never seen Princess Bride, you've got to see Princess Bride. You, you, you just got to see Princess Bride. Just, just, just cancel your plans today. Have some fun storming the castle and watch Princess Bride. It is one of the most magical, wonderful movies ever made. It's, it's, you got to see Princess Bride. I, I, I just can't believe that that many people have not watched. I mean, it's an older film for sure. It's an older film, but I thought, man, when I saw how many people had still never seen it, I, I was like, what? Yeah. You got to watch Princess Bride. Go, go and watch it. It's, it's probably on one of the, uh, one of the streaming services. I wouldn't doubt it if it's on one of the streaming services. Guys in the live chat, are, do you know if it's on one of the, if is Princess Bride on one of the streaming services? I'm going to guess it must be. Just wondering if you guys know if it is or not for sure. I'll look down and see if you guys, there's like a 15 second delay between me saying it and when you guys actually see. Uh, Bob Constructor is saying it's on Disney+. Plus. There you go. Uh, Sharia, Connor, uh, David, uh, Show Guy are all saying it's on Disney. So there you go. Come on. You all have Disney+. Plus. At least most of you guys do. If you have not seen Princess Bride, go and watch Princess Bride. Okay, guys, we almost got through all the questions here today, but my throat's going to go. We've gone for three hours and 17 minutes, so it's time to wrap up today's episode of the John Campia Show. Thank you guys for being here. Now, listen, there are still a few more questions to come, but don't worry. When we get to tomorrow's John Campia Show, we will start off the live questions part with where we left off, and we should get all cleared up uh, by tomorrow. So if you sent in a question, you didn't see it answered yet, hang tight. We'll get to it tomorrow. I absolutely guarantee it. All right, guys, thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and goodness. And a special thanks to all of you guys who did send in these live questions, because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here involved with the John Campus show. Thank you guys very, very much for your support. Okay, guys, remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. And don't forget, guys, today, 4.30 p.m., as long as you're not totally over it already since it's already been like four days, but we are doing, finally, our Falcon and Winter Soldier open spoiler discussion. Make sure you come on back at 4.30 Los Angeles time to join us for that. Okay, guys, that'll do it for me for now. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.